bed never seemed weird to you that you couldn't hear yourself? No, I mean, most of the time I could hear you, I was fine. Hmm. Didn't you hear yourself on your old mic? I really don't recall. Hmm. Okay. Well, you can hear yourself now. That's good. That's the whole point of the headphones is to monitor yourself, too. Okay. All right. Well, shall we begin to discuss this uh, Criterion classic of a movie? Mm-hmm. Yes, please. Did you do your what are you listening to? Um, I mean, I, I can answer these questions as the ones that I can answer. So why don't you answer them while we listen to the theme music? And okay. then we come out on the other side. We'll begin. Hi, I'm Benjamin Light. Hi, I'm Marco Sparks. I'll go ahead, Ken. We're back to talk about In the Land of Women this week. This is um this movie is something that really is I just don't know how, quite how to describe it. Um, but before we get to that, we're gonna do a little segment called What are you watching, Marco? Um I'm not watching anything new. I was trying to finish uh I've been so behind on the expanse, so I was trying to finish season two since I know like season three is about to end. Do you feel um, pressure to have something new when I ask you what you're watching? Sometimes, but I also realize like three days later that there's probably like tons of shows that I just forgot to mention. Um, yeah. Hmm. So I, I feel like I watch a lot of TV. So. Oh, what, what excites you lately? <laughs> well, that question for sure. Um, as far as like a TV show that I'm looking forward to, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm kind of I'm kind of listless in that regard. I mean i I have been enjoying Westworld this season for the most part. Um, so I guess I look forward to that. I think I'm really craving like a new exciting show. I guess I'm always craving a new exciting show, but I don't know. There's nothing like amazing to me that I can think of right now. There's also summer. So like the bulk of certain kinds of TV are off the air. All right. Been finishing up Archer. Oh yeah. I'm like a season happy out on that. Yeah. There's no rush. Yeah. Uh, I am just really watching Westworld these days. Um, I really need to catch up on iZombie. I'm like a season behind on it, but yeah, just Westworld lately. And it's fine. I don't know. It's seems like that show's already entered that period of like its fans do nothing but complain about it, Mm. which I find very boring. Like I'm not a person who really watches a show as though I might stop watching on any given week if I don't get what I want, you know? Mm -hmm. I feel like that's what I get from the show. I mean, the show has to have, the space to have an episode that doesn't necessarily excite you and maybe next week it'll be better. I mean, I just, I wish they would stop with the temporal business. I, I don't think they're really helping themselves in any way with it. I mean, can you think of a show where like every episode was like 10 out of 10? No. Okay. Except for pretty little hours, obviously. No. Um, <laughs> 
No, I mean, that's, I mean even that's even the, Lost and Buffy weren't all tens out of ten. It's the nature of TV, you know. Yeah, got some misses in there. Uh, what are you listening to? Uh, just handful of songs that I've been sorting through. I'm trying to pick up new music. I'm very desperate for new music of late. Um, I've been going through those phases. I uh, just finished uh, my audio book today, so I feel like I'm going to go back to, to music. So for a while, my commute. What about you? What are you listening to? Mm, I'm afraid we're going to need more from you on that answer than music. <laughs> you gotta give us something. I just downloaded a Taylor Swift remix. Is that okay? Is that on brand? It's a detail. So, yeah. Did you know that Bella Thorne has a song? I was vaguely aware of it. I have not uh, sought it out. Do you know what it's called? You're listening to that? No, no. Do you know what it's called, though? It's like a dumb name, right? It's called I'm Bella Thorne. Oh. Well, forget what I just said. That's brilliant. I just happened to like flip flip through like iTunes on one Friday morning and I saw that that on there. I was like, I have no desire to know what that sounds like. Hmm. No desire? Not at all. I'm sorry, it's called Bitch I'm Bella Thorne. Oh, now you're just sandbagging. Um and I just looked it up. It's it's there's the iTunes single. Mm-hmm. What's that mm. filed under? Pop? Uh, let me go back into the store here. I'm sure that it has to be, right? Wait, what did I just click on? Right there. I know how to navigate iTunes. Yeah, Pop. Mm, okay. <laughs> Thrilling Google or iTunes search time for me while I answer the question. Yes, it's Pop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've just been listening to the new Churches album lately. It's fun. Maybe not yeah. quite as dynamic as the one before, but I like some songs on it. Nice bright cover. There's a cover on it? I mean, of the album, sorry. Oh, okay. I just saw it in my, my recently added folder, so. Mm-hmm. Oh, you reading anything? Uh, today I finished uh, We Have Always Lived in the Castle by Shirley Jackson, which I had just started when we recorded last week. Um, I haven't had much time to read, so I was enjoying that. I wanted something very compact and strange and familiar. I'd read it before, obviously, many years ago. So I just finished it today, and it's quite a fascinating mood piece. What about you? Are you still reading Stevenson? Uh, in a way, yeah. I finished Anathem, and I've been reading 70s. Okay. About three-fourths of the way through that. Um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm reluctant to recommend Neil Stevenson to some people because he's sort of an acquired taste. Very dry, very technical in a lot of ways. Um, but I really like him. I'm entertained. If you had to make a general recommendation of a single book to not somebody specific to a podcast audience, who would you? What would you recommend? By him? Any book or by him specifically? By him. Um. Oh man, that's such a tough question. The easy answer would be Snow Crash, but I feel like his later stuff is so different. Um, I'll say. It's a doorstopper, but Cryptonomicon might be the most accessible accessible of his. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Department of Dodo was good, but it was co-written with someone else, so it's not quite the same as his normal style. Mm, okay. And so not is his uh, masterpiece. Not not Reemdy. 
No, Randy is a little too airport thriller to me. Okay. Like it's well written, but it just I don't know. It was it felt like his literary agent was like, "You got to write something more action packed or something." You know, like I that's like <laughs> the conversation I imagine that happened. I mean, it's definitely his version of that. It's his version of like a Tom Clancy book. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred page chase scene. Um, yeah. I, I would think Cryptonomicon would be a good choice in that regard. I mean, you start off, the, don't you start off right away with some of the Goto Dengo? Um, and uh, is it Bobby Shafto? Like, uh, um, oh, yeah, what's that poetry? They're, they're haikus and whatnot. Um, haikus. There the, the only caveat with Cryptonomicon is of all his books, that one particularly is a sausage fest. Um, there's really <laughs> only one female character of any note in the entire book. And it's, you see her entirely through uh, the male character's eyes, whereas a lot of his other books are much better at that. Well, and it's, it's male characters talking about very typical male character things, mm-hmm. like the virility of dudes of beards and like porn stories and uh, cereal and, yeah. Yeah. Dude stuff like cereal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the beard thing is funny. I feel like that was probably one of his more amusing passive aggressive asides. Uh just the a little bit about how like his he's the main character's dating a girl who like wrote like a whole her whole thesis on like why white men grow beards as opposed to other races. And it's like this like complete dissection of the the entire you know, grooming standard. And of course he grows a beard because of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because that's where their relationship was. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, the diamond age is really good, but it, it ends abruptly. That's the, the one caveat there. Also, I don't believe that there is a single reader out there who won't have to, uh, you know, refer to the dictionary a few times <laughs> throughout time and age. Yeah. I mean, that's Stevens is really outmatching himself with his vocab in that word. That's why I'm reading Neil Stevenson right now. I'm gearing up to do some revisions, so I'm trying to limber up. That's why I've been reading his stuff. Mm. Mm. Good thinking. Yeah, a Diamond Age is great, though. I, I kind of of the. I, I had some minor nitpicks, but yeah, in general, it's great. Yeah, but I, I, I think that was probably the most joyous experience I've had reading one of his books. But you haven't no okay. So you've read Anne at them. You haven't read Seventies, right? No, I haven't read Seventies. Seventies on reread it is it can get a little too technical, maybe at times. Um, okay. You really learn a lot about orbital mechanics and whatnot. In Seventies, mm-hmm. like more so than in, in Anathem at the end. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Wow. Do you know what Seventies is about? Uh, it has to do with like uh, space colonization. Sort of, it's like space migration. The, the moon blows up, and they figure out that uh, all the pieces of the moon are going to uh, rain over Earth, and and the heat from them passing through the atmosphere is going to like incinerate all life for thousands of years. And so they mm-hmm. figure out they've got like about two years to try to start a space colony to ride that out for the next five thousand years. So it's a hell of a lot of very tense like orbital mechanics stuff happening in space, you know, trying to dodge pieces of the moon, all that kind of stuff. And so they basically like go in seven different directions or something like that. The, what do you mean? I mean, I presume it's like seven eaves, like new something um, to do with like mitochondrial eaves or something like that. 
I wouldn't want to spoil anything. I'll just say that um, it goes in a really interesting direction about two way, two thirds of the way through the book. It has that when it suddenly has the yeah. It has my all time. I I don't. This isn't really a spoiler because it's kind of part of the pitch of the book, but it has like maybe Rose Watch below too. Probably yeah, but one of my all time favorite turns of the page when you turn the page and it says five thousand years later, and you're like, oh. ballsy anyway. um, also my other my other favorite ongoing serial narrative is uh trey davis's instagram stories oh yeah that's you should have said that for what you're watching i know i know i'm so sorry apparently she uh she just finished her writing project i'm mm-hmm. uh, hoping that we'll hear something at some point we can only have new script trey davis you know who else finished their writing project about 10 years ago maybe like 12 years ago one jonathan kasdan <laughs> he wrote a screenplay called In the Land of Women that he also directed. I did not realize that this was Kazan. I feel like he probably mentioned this to me recently and it went in one year out the other. I think I looked this up and I told you this last week is my guess. And I then forgot myself because I just so in I was doing like a Google image search the other day and just like looking at pictures of uh like Adam Brody on the set, like talking to the director. And I was just kind of like, man, whoever this director is, I bet I just hate him. <laughs> it makes so much more sense, like understanding how this movie exists when you realize that Jonathan Kasdan is the writer director. Like, oh. I, I still, that said, I pray that there are no interviews where he's just like, this was a deeply autobiographical work. <laughs> now you're just stepping on my opening statement. Why don't you go ahead and go first? Um, God, this, this whole thing is going to be way over. Like, what did me just say? Like on a scale of one to ten, how excited were you to be able to talk about this once you rewatched it? Um, at least an eight. It was okay. Yeah, I mean, this, I, it's baffling. I don't know. This, this, yes. you go, you go first. Uh, so I'm all over the place here, but I mean, just imagine if you have a film that's like the bastard child of Garden State, but it's going around telling you that it's also the bastard child of The Graduate. Or imagine that 500 Days of Summer was in a fiery wreck and was totally unrecognizable, but features a 26-year-old L.A. fuckboy who writes softcore porn. Um, Like you said, every movie, literally every scene of the film, film, every choice made is a weird one. And I don't mean like, oh, hey, this is a little stylistically bonkers. I mean, every decision is baffling. Every strand of DNA of this film is crazy town banana pants. And also mediocre at times. Um... It features Case 2, which was just like a breath of life, though very her character's so bizarre. Um, certain storylines of this movie have no life at all. It's almost like they have cancer, and it's a shame because they're about characters who may or may not die. It's vibrant, and it's listless at the same time. It's a feat to take these incredibly relatable story elements and make them feel totally like foreign and alien and ludicrous and spineless. Um, but the movie's still unbelievably fascinating to me, and I... I, I just preface that by like how bonkers it is. It it's a movie where somehow Adam Brody is both the most charismatic and unattractive and, and attractive dude of all time, and you have to hold that in your head. The movie starts with him getting his ass dumped in a diner in LA during the middle of the day. Um, I love how terrible this movie is. I really do. That all is right. all I have to say. <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah. I don't. I, as I mentioned earlier, I don't think this movie gets made without John Kazan being the son of a famous screenwriter. In a way, it's it's sort of a curiosity because Hollywood is normally like a finely tuned machine that's designed to keep bad scripts like this from getting produced. 
but due to the magic of nepotism, we have this little unicorn of a bad movie. It plays out like such a writer's fantasy, uh, or at least a, a certain kind of writer's fantasy, I guess, where like they're all these women, they just exist to unload their emotions on this guy and make out with him and then reassure him that he's fine and everything's going to be fine. Um, mm-hmm. I think with a little bit of tweaking, this could be like a brilliant satire about bad writers. But I, sadly, I, I think this is all sincere. Like, I think this might even be autobiographical. And that's just about the worst thing I've ever heard. <laughs> marvelous. It's so narcissistic. It hurts. <laughs> it's like, like, I feel embarrassed for him, for Jonathan Katz. And it's like, you know, Back in the day, like right after graduated high school, I probably wrote some bad scripts there and uh, mm-hmm. no one needed to see them. They didn't need to be made in the movies, but uh, his his bad script did get made into a movie. Well, that's it's it's partially the nepotism thing. I mean, films don't happen in a vacuum. They are a group effort. They're a collaborative medium. Like I get that Jonathan Gasden can go write a bad script and he can probably be handed this ten million dollar check based on his name alone. But other people had to say yes to this, and that fascinates me. Like Olympia Dukakis, what the fuck are you I think they in just, this movie? They all owed Larry Kasdan favors, I think is what's going on there. Oh, I hope he has just this crazy like folder of blackmail mm-hmm. that somehow features young actors in it. <laughs> I mean, this was Casey's first big movie before Twilight. Um, yeah. Post- well, Meg Panic Ryan, Room. what the fuck? I think she owes Larry Kasdan a favor, I'm telling you. I'm sure he's worked with her at some point in the past or something like that. Oh man, 2007. Like, hey, got me do me a solid. Just, there. just do my son. Just do his movie. I'll, I'll hook you up with something else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 2007 was a weird fucking time. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me just legitimately say uh, thanks, Obama, for putting an end to this era. <laughs> That's right. This is the end of the Bush years. Um, this so, is like so. Where does this fall? I gotta look it up. Like with like Last Kiss, because that's the other really atrocious movie from this era that I that I always think of. Well, this is April 2017. Let's see the Last Kiss, which God is so uh, Last Kiss is 2006. Okay, that is a fucking garbage movie. That movie, but it's like it's almost like a sister ship to this to this thing. Mm-hmm. Like the, like it's like. Uh, the, the three ships of Columbus sailing are these two and uh, Garden State. And when was like we five, need more mediocre? Okay, Five hundred days of summer is two thousand nine. Okay, so that's a little bit later. Yeah, yeah. Well, two thousand nine or five hundred days of summer is like when this this bullshit was finally done right. Let's see. Uh, I guess we should do our our favorite moments. Yeah, I have. I guess one honorable mention. Okay, I have three. Okay. <laughs> Um, again, some usual caveat. Some of these are arbitrary, but my number six moment here is, of course, like minute five when Adam Brody walks into his mom's house, like five minutes in the film, and he says um, that he can make this trip to Michigan to see the sick grandmother, or whatever, because <sighs> Sophia just broke up with me. And the mom's like, "Oh my god, when?" And he's like, "Hour and a half ago. I've been in traffic," which is. <laughs> always going to be like of when i search my database for like things from movies that remind me of la that will always be towards the top i feel like that one was like in jonathan kasson's notebook for years and he's just like waiting to fire that one out of the cannon he's yeah. just like oh i got a great line here yeah. 
An hour and a half ago, I've been in traffic. <laughs> All right, well, what's your uh, number five? Um. It's actually not a terrible scene. It's when Meg Ryan takes the youngest daughter out to ice cream of all places. It's how she has cancer. And the little girl like tells the mom like the one terrible thing that she's done in her life, which is basically stole 20 bucks out of her mom's purse. And she's got this like precocious kid shit. And so she's like, that's my one secret. I have no lies, nothing else with you. So that, you know, you might, you might lie to everyone else in the family, like my dad, my sister, whatever. But if you believe me, or you, if you say something to me, I will believe you because you and I don't have any lies. And so, so she asked her mom again, are you going to be okay? You know, like with the cancer and everything. And I was like, oh, it's not bad. I mean, somehow, spoiler, the stuff that I thought was not terrible was all almost to do with the little sister. Hmm. Well, I mean, Meg Ryan and Kristen Stewart, they're doing their best with the material. It's just an absurd movie. Like the writing is ridiculous. <laughs> you can see them trying with it. but Yeah. Okay, Stu is doing all of the ticks that she has been made fun of over mm-hmm. her career. They are all, it's like showcased and then some here. Yeah, all right. Like if you were taking a shot every time she touches her hair, you would be dead in the first 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Well, my number four is at the end, uh, spoiler alert, when his grandma dies and he's supposed to call hospice, but instead he just goes outside and like <laughs> talks to Meg Ryan for a while. Yeah, it's just like I think the movie wants us to be feeling some sort of you know ennui at the moment. You know, it's like oh, he just mm-hmm. has to go outside for a while, but instead, it's just like it's like he can't be arsed to call hospice. He's just like I don't want to do this and go outside. Well, I am given the impression the entire movie that he's come to fucking hate this grandmother too. Everything he does, he just acts like he's so put upon. Like at yeah. one point, he like. He changes her bed sheets once and it's just like you can just you can feel those I'm a good grandson vibes wafting off of him. You know, it's like I did one thing. Yeah. I'm living here rent free. I changed your sheets once. I'm done. Give the give me everything in the will. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to I'm, I'm going to sigh like when you do. He sighs uh, so much in this movie. <laughs> so number is after this asshole has initiated himself into the worst love triangle ever he goes to see meg ryan this is after she's had surgery she's started chemo she is incredibly ill from all of those things and his presence she's also witnessed him making out with her teenage daughter in the street like the night before days before and i'm sorry this is my number four moment but she flat out tells him that while it might be partially her fault we'll get into that she, he will never ever get to touch her daughter again, and I was just like, "Yay!" <laughs> and then, of course, he stops to leave her the super narcissistic letter that he wrote her because, of course, because, of course, in these fucking movies, the guy has got a monologue that will maybe turn it all around. And the letter's all about him, yeah, yeah. Um, and and the, the amazing thing is, like, in within the letter, he knows what he's doing. As a writer, there he knows he's making it all mm-hmm. about him and trying to fix it all with one letter but he's gonna write it anyway yeah um so number three top moments here um in minor minor all pretty sarcastic i should say that front uh when meg ryan's pretending to shave her head i just i was very amused by that (laughs) so uh well we'll get to that she's Um, just like larry i'll be in the movie i'm not shaving my head for your fucking kid oh i remember what's the line that uh um 
Luke Wilson says in the movie. Luke Shit. Wilson's in this movie? No, no, no. I'll get to it in a second. I'll come back to this. Uh, my number three moment is, of course, the opening scene when he's being dumped by his like superstar French actress girlfriend. And he's sitting there weeping in this like booth in this diner in L.A. during the day. And then these like three girls come over to get the actress's signature. Um, one of the girls just looks over and sees him like in tears and utterly destroyed. And she's just kind of like, we got to go. <laughs> His girlfriend here, uh, Sophia in the movie, this is Dr. Poison. Yeah. From yeah. Wonder Woman. This is, yeah. this is 2007's Elena Aya before she did the the movie about the weird skin like, yeah i don't care uh, if this guy is a screenwriter he is a softcore porn screenwriter there is no way he's dating this chick she's way above okay the uh uh the math of some of these people hooking up in 2007 is just crazy at like 2007 adam brody getting 2007 elena i, I, oh, I would no, i would no, buy adam brody would be dating this model model actress but this character no way sorry i don't buy it <laughs> his boss would be potentially yeah his boss i think was harvey weinstein mm. uh well, so fortunate yeah where are we at here number two mm-hmm. me first right um the just when casey's like doing some angry teenage painting <laughs> like which i feel like is like it's such a cliche of a certain kind of teen movie where the the ingenue has to have some sort of artistic attribute, you know, it's like, she's got to have like, she's got to have some paint smudges on her nose every once in a while. And she's got to like, just start throwing paint at the canvas to just, you know, show her emotions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my number two, oh God, the music in this movie is so fucking weird is Adam Brody's character is the kind of dude who goes jogging while listening to Huey Lewis's Do You Believe in Love on his old 2007 why, iPod? Why does this guy who's seemingly like our age, like why does he only listen to 80s corporate cock rock? Like what is going so, on? So as he's like jogging through this Michigan neighborhood, he's having like memory fantasies about his French actress ex so hard that he runs full speed into a tree and knocks himself out. Mm-hmm. That happens. Oh my god, I love how bad this movie is. <laughs> my number one is when uh, our boy Adam Brody, his character's name is Carter, when he goes to like the teenage party, mm-hmm. um, just the idea of him showing up there I find hilarious. Like, I definitely kind of been in that mode, and it's like this movie is like a really kind of juvenile fantasy of what you would want to happen at a party like that when you're just like, Oh, I'm so much cooler than these people. I'm going to get punched out, but still run off with the girl. You know, like it's it's so cringe-inducing, like the wish fulfillment that's going on. You've been in this mode before. I've been at a teenage party when I was not a teenager. Hmm. Okay. You've never done that. Cool. Uh, I'm trying to cut way back. Uh, my number one, and I, I feel like everyone's done this in like their early to mid twenties, like. Somehow you end up at a party that you're too old for, and it's weird. So my number one is um, it's 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 a montage that's cutting back and forth. It's case two, the second time she's painting, furiously painting in her blue face. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Meg Ryan is gearing up to shave her head to some tacky rock riff that's playing, which is somehow not "Needle in the Hay" by Elliot Smith. Let me tell you that. And then, if it's not ludicrous enough, like you said, it's like the totally fake 
like uh, shaving the head, the fake wig thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Case Stu's affectation, because it's Case Stu, mind you, is she bites on the end of her uh, her paintbrush a lot while she's thinking. Oh yeah, she does that a couple times. And then we finally see at the end that the fucking blue swirls of paint that she's been moving around is a portrait of her mother. <laughs> oh, God, I love this movie. Yeah. Um, I don't think this movie, I know someone tweeted at us, but like, I got to go find all the streaming services that have it. I don't think it's on any of them. It's on like, HBO, I, I think. Okay. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I, when I saw that one, I looked it up. Yeah, it's on HBO now. Okay. All right. Uh, ooh, what are you drinking there? Uh, I have some whiskey in a glass. Just whiskey, neat. Mm-hmm. Well, mm. with ice. With ice, okay. Mm. Not bad. Complaints? Uh, that's my sorry, it's my Adam Brody impression. Um, my I rewatching this halfway through the movie. I was like, shouldn't Case Stu be the main character? I mean, I know that throws out the whole philosophy of the film. The movie's like, so confused because. He shouldn't be in a romantic relationship with either character and you're not really rooting for it because one of them is like a married mother who's too old for him and unavailable. And one of them is a teenager who's too young Mm -hmm. for him and unavailable. And yet the movie wants to paint this as a romance. Yeah, it's weird. If this movie had been made 10 years earlier, it would have all come to a head when he like takes like he would have taken the case to and her little sister to like revival showing of the graduate or something uh i I, th- I was like back and forth i'm like wait who is he really supposed to be having the attempted aborted ill-conceived relationship with i guess it's meg ryan i think it's both i think that's the weird thing about this movie is that it's both well, i i would agree with you because it's it seems like when they're in scenes together he has more of a connection of meg ryan but by the sheer real estate that the case two character takes up in the film, I think, yeah, it might be both, but he has like the final moment with Meg Ryan. Yeah. And he writes Maybe her just because it's letter. like less skeezy. Like it's, you could say it's, um, I don't know. I, the movie morally... never even touches the skis though. Not really. I mean, it kind of barely does with that one scene you're talking about with Meg Ryan, but like you could say it's like, maybe not exactly like a, a stand-up guy type of thing for him to like have something going on with Meg Ryan, but it's not like illegal, you know, like no, there's no. that difference. Well, and rewatching it now, I'm just perplexed about, did they like smash in the rain or what? We need to make that a segment. I think of this podcast, just did they smash? Did they smash? Yeah. I uh, think yeah. no, personally. Like, I mean, that's, this movie has like a lot of weird fades to white and you're like, what, what are you communicating? Well, for half a second, because it like you're right, it fades to white, and then he's just like writing his his fucking bullshit that he writes. Also, his writing situation in the grandmother's house, he is sitting at like a bureau directly in front of a mirror. Oh my fucking god! Let's <laughs> why don't we? Which he just stares at himself. Why don't we just move from complaints into the general discussion? Because yeah, I mean this this whole movie kinda, could be a complaint. Yeah, I mean, yeah. what is the conflict in this movie really? Like the writing is so bad. Yeah. Um, just right off the bat, the movie starts with these horrific contemplative piano riffs. The the score is so terrible. Um, like it's just temp track score. Yeah, so it starts with him getting like 
like broken up with at the diner in the middle of the day with his his girlfriend. This, this relationship just doesn't seem real. Like not only that he'd be dating Doctor Poison here, but like just the way that he's like crying in this booth as she breaks up with him in a diner, and she's just kind of like fairly unemotional about it. Like it just this doesn't read to me as like a realistic relationship, even though the movie at times tries to be like really sincere. Well. Breaking up in public says one of two things. A, I am scared of you. Uh, B, you're not that important to me, which thus means this relationship was never that important. Thus, like, I don't care. Yeah, I think it could <laughs> it's potentially hard to say more than that. It's it's neutral ground. Uh, yeah, I mean, she's definitely, like, not... There's She does, like, a little emotionally touched at the end when she leaves. A little, yeah. I mean, I, I think if you break up someone in public, there's obviously not going to be any, like, breakup sex involved there. So I think it's there's a variety of reasons for it especially if it's not raining and you haven't been diagnosed with a, a life-threatening disease no mm-hmm. um there are this was 2007 right there's a surprisingly high amount of gay slurs in this movie yeah oh yeah well in from a lot of teenagers though like yeah teenagers it's from are. teenagers but still like i feel like that was a little too late for that in movies and fucking bush era man yeah. throwing out that f-bomb um there's a bit I couldn't tell if it was like bad writing or if this was meant to be like a joke that didn't land where he's like says nothing at the at, in the booth for a while. And then she's like, listen, I hear what you're saying. And it's like. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's like, was that a joke? I can't tell because your directing isn't very good. The directing is the movie is shot terribly as well. I mean, um, I feel like if I had like somehow known before I went to see Solo that this was Jonathan Kazan, I'd be like, ooh, yeah, lowering my expectations even more. Oh, I, mean, I would love for this no to Jake be Kasdan. Alden Ehrenreich and uh, and uh, is Jake Kasdan? That's zero effect. Oh, what's the other one I'm thinking of? Mark Hard, uh, Mumford. No, that's Larry. That's that's uh, is that Larry the Potterfamilius there yeah oh okay Mumford is a very interesting weird movie yeah that movie gets real weird at the end of Act Two is it time I know they tried and it failed is it time to for somebody to make the attempt on the Zero Effect TV show again oh I mean we had a whole movie called the TV set that seems to be sort of about that but yeah they should totally make I mean the Zero it's just Sherlock basically is that the, is that the Duchovny movie yeah. I mean, Zero Effect is, is, is basically just doing a riff on Sherlock. Um, so it, that would be a very, very e- easy TV show to make. It's, it's little, just a little procedural. Sherlock, little Sherlock, yeah. like Nero Wolf. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so after that that sterling, brilliant scene, that scene from this Criterion Classic, I mean, some actors look really cool when they're smoking. None of these actors are Adam Brody. Like, especially not the... Because the, this is still Adam Brody. Wait, and Jake Kasdan directed Jumanji? Oh, that explains so much. Okay. Oh, the first one? No, the the one that just came out. That was him. Oh, wow. really? Oh, yeah. the jungle, huh? That dude is writing way higher than his brother right now. Hmm. I mean, on the one hand, okay, fine. He, he did Star Wars, but uh, it bombed, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, is it like Jake? Is it okay? Is it a matter of like Jake Kazan has to be better because clearly like his dad loves loves the brother more? I always or is got- it like. Is 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 Larry bringing the bro- the other brother along because he like you know he made a movie like this? No, it's, I'm pretty sure I've read an interview where Lawrence Kasdan is like, "I'll do solo, but I get to write it with my son." Like that was definitely doing a favor. 
I know, but like, why that son? Because <laughs> he needs the help, I think. Okay, that, that was my answer. My Jake question. is, he's like a, he's ex- EP on New Girl, like all 146 episodes. Like, he's doing fine. Okay. Right on. Um, yeah, so this is still Adam Brody in the the oeuvre of his Seth Cohen character. Like, it's that look. It's a little bit of that affect. Um, It's not like Adam Brody from, like, Megan's body. Do you think Adam Brody even... Jennifer's body. Jennifer's body, sure. Megan's body, that works too. Do you think he yeah. even went to wardrobe, or is he just wearing what he wears? Mm-hmm. Yes. This is right at the end of the OC. Like, this is 2007. The OC is just ending right now. Twilight like, has not think, happened yet. Do you think he felt pressure? Like, oh man, this is my shot. This is my jump to film. I can't shit no, the bed on this one. I my sense just from reading some of like the ten years later OC stuff is that the actors on that show, especially the young actors, all thought they were fucking hot shit, and okay. probably thought that they were all like just going on to bitter and better, bigger and better things. And uh, yeah, Adam Brody. I don't know what is he doing lately. He hasn't. He hasn't. Exactly panned out, I guess you'd say. He's married to Leighton Meester. Really? It's like those two; those two found love in a very hopeless place, which was like post a show. But I think she has a show coming out now. Um, Who's the one who married uh, Pete Campbell? That was Alexis Playdell, right? Yeah, that was Rory Gilmore. Mm-hmm. Um, well, like I really thought, okay, maybe like Benjamin McKenzie will be the breakout guy, but like I mean, Gotham? Gotham, I don't know. I, I, I don't. Maybe he could have been, but yeah, Gotham. And like Rachel Bilson, I just feel like her career consisted of saying yes to all the wrong movies. Like Last Kiss. Like Last Kiss, which is... And and Hayden Christensen. Yes. Um, God, Jumper was such a fucking bizarre movie. And like, why did they pick Jumper to have like a YouTube Red sequel? (laughs) Who gives a fuck? Like, what was that pitch meeting like with Doug Liman, the YouTube Red people? Is it Doug Liman? Yeah, he's involved. Oh, he's what involved. Doug okay. going to be doing? All right. <laughs> the movie is terrible. I remember that much. Um, I just remember that the first line of the movie is something with like Hay- uh, Hayden Christensen like insulting the audience, like "fuck you, you, you nobodies." <laughs> I can teleport. Um, but yeah, the the fucking scene where Rachel Bilson makes goddamn Zach Braff the mixtape and Last Kiss is like terrible and cringy, but it's so much more potent. For what it's going for, then I think a lot. I guess of you could say that maybe it's honest in like a really uncomfortable way. Whereas that's this, my point is, yeah. it makes much more sense. It's the better distillation of like what should be happening in this movie. I just don't know. Like, is it, has all this happened to Jonathan Kasdan? Was he just like, I'm just writing the truth that I know? Like, why of would, all movies does he make this movie? It's so weird. I would never, ever answer that in my life if I was him. I would confess to weird murders before I would answer that question. I mean, you you kind of get the sense that both the character of Adam Brody in this movie and, like, Jonathan Kasdan, the writer, think that they're being, like, really good dudes by kind of, like, just being there for these women to process all their shit. Yeah. If they knew that they were fucking scoundrels, I might even buy into this a little more. No, um, it's like they it's like they think they're doing a good thing and they should be commended for it. Well, and that's the weird thing, is because you have you have your character in the movie, 
And then the movie is is the fucking universe. And it's like both this character and the universe are like, this guy's an all right, bro. He's a straight up dude, straight shooter. I guess we should say a, a brief, if you haven't seen this movie, a brief description of the plot would be Adam Brody gets dumped by his way too hot for him model actress girlfriend. Uh, he hears that his grandmother is like having some trouble. She thinks she's sick or something like that. And so he goes back to Michigan to take care of his grandmother. Across the street from him is Meg Ryan with her daughter, Kristen Stewart. And he like strikes up weird relationships with both of them. Hijinks. That don't really go anywhere. And then he eventually leaves. And that's it. And he is, he is a narcissistic piece of shit. But he doesn't Uh, know it at all. No. And I don't think the movie, I don't think the movie knows it is the thing. Well, like, okay. So scene two. Does he live with his mother or does he just go straight to his mother after the breakup? You know, it's unclear. I don't think he lives with his mother. Okay. He walks in. He's doing the Adam Brody look. He's got like the, the button up collared shirt with like the sweater over it. Right. In he LA with, too in the summer. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of hot. Um, he walks in his mom's house. He's doing that thing that guys do that's really fucked up where he's like got his shirt up and he's like just rubbing his bear's stomach. Is that fucked up? That's a little like he's at home. I, I give him a pass on that. He's at home. That's I, that's not classy. Um, I'm not saying you well, should do it in public, but he's he's at his parents' house. He's comfortable. Yeah. Um, so the mom is like, he's like, what's up with you, mom? And she's like, oh, I just got off the phone with my mom and I'm really worried about her. She's not in a good way. And he's just like, fuck, I need to go there. Like, I don't give a shit about grandma, but I need to get out of town and have like a journey of my own. This will give me a, he immediately says, this will finally give me the chance to work on that script that I've been working on. Oh, we got to talk about that script. Well, it's not the one about Genghis Khan. (laughs) That sounds interesting. No, it's about his, his high school days or something like throughout the movie. There's like mention of like this magnum opus that he feels is within him to to write about his like lame ass like alternative high school that he went to or something it's progressive like, high school yeah yeah what's it's like the the title he gives it is like west la high or something like that yeah, yeah he, how he, fucking he, boring would that be god well what makes it worse is he, he always stresses it's not just like you know, I want to write this movie about my high school experiences. He always stresses that it's his L.A. high school experience. <laughs> here's here's the time to write that script when you're in high school. If you're 26 years old and you're still like, man, I really need to capture my high school experience. There's something wrong there, maybe. I don't know. And he tells somebody, I don't remember who now, that he's been working on it for 11 years. <laughs> you know what? That movie better be starring Genghis Khan at this point, buddy. <laughs> Let's hear more about that Genghis Khan movie. I want to hear. I want to hear about Temujin and like having like like weird panty raids. Um. So we get the strangest transition in cinema to me, where he's laying on the floor of his mother's house, saying he doesn't want to meet anyone because his mom's telling him that older women have always been drawn to him. Um. Fucking weird. Uh. He just wants to be alone. <laughs> Mom just his, randomly says that. Yeah. Uh, he wants to be alone with his grandmother and his cat, and then we cut to. Hot blooded, blasting as teenage case dude drives her little sister around. Why are they listening to the song? Why is well, the younger sister singing along to it? Did you just look at like case dude's like weird t shirt collection throughout this movie? Oh, Casey's amazing in this movie. I feel like this was when we knew that she was going to be something special, even if the rest of the world didn't. Oh, I mean, all right. So you and I watched this together. We watched mm-hmm. two incredibly bad 
Oh, that was a family movies. The Cast and Family Marathon. Yeah, we did Dreamcatcher in this. I am half tempted to say that we should do Dreamcatcher next week just to capture that vibe. But like, I don't think either of us really said at the time. But I was like, for sure, bitten by the case do bug while watching this movie. I was like, she is captivating. She's fantastic in this movie. I feel like half the Dreamcatcher podcast is just saying like. This is what happens in the movie. No, seriously, I'm not making it up. This is something that actually happens in this movie. When, like, shit weasels crawl, aliens crawl to people's assholes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but the cast. Um, yeah, so teen stuff. Case 2 starts off this movie in, like, really weird baggy sagging jeans and a Bob Dylan album belly shirt. <laughs> She's super skinny, too, in this. Yeah, later on, she'll be wearing a Genesis album belly shirt from the Invisible Touch album and like a couple others throughout. Yeah, and there's like there's vague angst between her and her mom, which we'll find out later is because, well, for a few reasons. One, that she knows that her mom is being cheated on and her mom isn't doing anything about it, which she mm-hmm. like blames on her mom, even though she knows it's wrong, but she still blames her on her mom. Um, Mm -hmm. And then also like this kind of weird story where like maybe a possible molestation happened or something like that when she was 11 years old. So I, I, the impression I got from the story was that it was another boy, her age and they were, yeah. So it's, it's not, both went too far and then they were both a little bit scared of how far they went. And then like teachers got involved and the mom made case to feel like something was wrong with her. And Adam Brody's listening to her like, pour out her heart about the story that she's never told anyone. And he's just like, yeah, whatever. Everyone does that. I don't care. You know, yeah. <laughs> like get over it, yourself. He tells her that's normal, which, Oh boy. Of course that's like, that's like red flag. Like my meter doesn't count red flags that high by that point. That's like yeah. towards the end of the movie. But, um, yeah, the movie, the, the mother daughter relationship is essentially ladybird. If like somehow the movie was actually about the fuck boy across the street. Um, so yeah, I'd say it's a little the- less nuanced than Lady Bird, for real. Just uh, the- Adam Adam Brody's grandmother basically lives like in a Thomas Kincaid cottage. Um, though the sh- the house is like really shitty inside, so he goes see the the grandmother, and he knocks on the door or whatever. She opens up the door. The first thing she does is slam the door in his face. He gets her to reopen the door, and then her first lines are. I can't believe I'm still alive. I can't believe that I live to see your face again. This is where I'm like, this has got to be autobiographical because who the fuck makes this shit up? I, if you told me that everything with the grandmother, it's, it's Olympia Dukakis. I don't know what she's doing in this movie. It was like improvised. I would believe you. I think this is all like this all in some way or other sort of happened to Jonathan Kasdan. That's the only way it makes sense to me. So because it's so specific and specifically bad that I just don't believe you would make that up on your own without experiencing it. If I had another night um, before we recorded this, I would just spend that night like watching some of the various press interviews for this movie that I found on YouTube. Oh, wow. Um, the one of Olympia Dukakis, she's only answering two questions from like the EPK. The first is her answer is that the first thing she asked for from the costume department was a hump for her character. And that she legitimately believes that her character is 133 years old. The second question, her answer is that she was really impressed by the first quality you noticed about Adam Brody. And that's his world weariness. It's a world weary (laughs) motherfucker right there. Yeah. 
Oh, God damn. Um, so, yeah, then he, he calls his mother once he's arrived. Tell her he's arrived. And she just says, this is the worst idea you've ever had. And he tells her, no, it's what I really need right now. At no point does he give a shit about his grandmother. Oh, and like, I don't know, we're 10 minutes in the movie, and it's just like, what is the conflict here? Like, <laughs> what? It's, it's movie's so weird. It's just so lackadaisical and meandering and not really interested in in having a plot or anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know how far, but one point he's presumably cleaning up. So he's taking some trash out because the grandmother's like a like a crazy deranged like hoarder. Um, takes in some trash out to the cans on the street in the middle of the night, and it's like ooh, comic hijinks! Like it's too much bags of trash and they break and they fall over. Meanwhile, Kestu, who's like somewhere off in the ending of the first episode of the OC, is like smoking on her roof and sees this and giggles, and he like hears her and looks over and like that's their me cute. Sort of, yeah, and it's like it's a really big deal that he knows that she smokes, and yeah, it's dumb. And then, then Meg Ryan comes out with With her dog, dog. yeah, Bozo. She says, "Hey, Bozo," and Adam Brody's like, "What?" So (laughs) the thing with the trash is there is it a joke? Because I think there's maybe a bunch of like adult diapers in it. Is that what the joke is there? I I think so. I think that's a that's the joke. I mean, to me. You have a joke where like, oh, hey, ha ha, the, the trash bag broke, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, then it's like full of adult diapers. I don't know if the case two can see that they're adult diapers from that distance, but. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but that's, that's, welcome to every segment of every scene of this movie. What was the joke here exactly? <laughs> I know. Was, I what was the point joke. of this scene? Yeah. I know there was a joke here. I'm not sure what the joke was because I'm, I'm saying this in the pause for laughter portion. Um. So yeah, he meets Meg Ryan. It's not, I guess, the meet cute there is that she calls him Bozo, and he's like, "What?" And she's like, "That's the dog's name." Which, what the fuck? Why would you name your dog Bozo? And then, Kestu's friends show up in this like loud caravan of teenage douchebaggery. Yeah, it's not just a single car; it's like a whole caravan. Uh, the the kind of like background plot that's happening between like Kestu and her theoretical boyfriend and like the other guy who likes her is so on the periphery that it's just like it feels like it's a joke and yet i think mm-hmm. the movie's still taking it seriously well and they show up like it's the most mediocre teenage white version of like party mad max of all time which is like these like people chilling on the back of the car or whatever uh, and it's very confusing it too because she goes to get in the one car and like the the dude offers her like the the riding shotgun and she's like no i'll sit in the back it's it's also his car so i don't know yeah, why we find out later that the 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 guy who like has a crush on case you but it's like a friend of like her theoretical boyfriend he like lets the boyfriend drive his cool car which like jesus christ dude has some self-esteem like how often do you tell your friends like let's go to this thing but i want to drive your car and, um and then he has to like offer her the front seat because you know his 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 main dude is driving his own car and so of well, course like, the girlfriend has to sit up front it's like they're in some kind of like 2007 rebel without a cause or whatever so she like paused the movie to like walk over to adam brody who's just this weird dude chilling by his goddamn trash can and she's like hey sup like my parents don't know i smoke can you keep it cool and he's just like i'm taking one of your cigarettes hostage girl which is like dude 
this is a teenage girl. I mean, I don't know. When I was 26, I was terrified to talk to teenagers. I was like, get the fuck away from me. Don't look at me. I don't want, I don't want to get in trouble. Um, well, and he's got like this other, like these other dudes are watching him and just being like, whoa, what's going on over there? That guy's doing old guy moves that we can't get away with. Which, yeah, they're like, oh shit, this guy is older and cool. And I'm like, that guy, well, can, you're half that right. guy can go buy alcohol and we can't. Yeah. I don't know why there wasn't a scene of that in the movie. I really don't. I mean, that's definitely something I remember as a high school student, that whole kind of weird tension where it's like, those older guys can just like go buy booze. How do I compete with that? Like, I remember that vibe. This movie doesn't really capture it at all, but it seems like it's maybe trying to. Yeah. But you know what, though? Those things always fucking work themselves out. The high school parties I went to in high school, there was always booze there. I didn't need to know the mechanism of the economy of how did you guys because Adam Brody, that's why it's because someone's dating Adam Brody on the side. Yeah. Who's also, he's just like chilling him like, Hey, what's your John Hughes experience? And she's like, uh, who? Yeah. <laughs> Even though she's, I don't know if she's like doing her research later. Like she's taking like advice from the sister and hitting up the Googs. Um, anyway, so at some point he's talking to his producer who may or may not be Harvey Weinstein, though. I would think he wouldn't be doing like softcore porn unless that's just like a, a joke they're constantly making about his like content of his his slice of the film industry but he tells the it's like a thursday or a friday or something he tells the producer they have new script pages by monday or tuesday then the next time we see him it's clearly monday morning before he's working on the script pages and that's when he's like you know i'm gonna make grandma's bed and i hey i'm really helping out here what is he before, doing the whole time Seriously, because this movie takes place over the course of maybe a month and a half, maybe two months. What the fuck is he doing well, the it, whole time? It should be mentioned, um, his, his character, Adam Brody, Carter Webb here. He, Carter Webb. Within the movie, he is literally a writer for softcore porn. That's what he does. He writes like like Cinemax porn or something, mm-hmm. which like Jonathan Kazan being a real Hollywood writer I don't know what this is supposed to be because he knows this isn't like a real thing. And yet, like, is this a joke or something that like the producer has to call him and be like, oh, so-and-so the actress needs her motivation for why she's going to sleep with the cable guy. And it's like they're being treated like it's a serious thing. Like, I don't understand what the point of this is. Like, it, it feels like a joke that somebody who's never been to Hollywood before would make. Well, two things. It's this is the time period. His response is she really wants that DSL, which is like mm. funnier in a different way a couple of years later. Uh, secondly, I feel like the guy in his position doesn't get their name on the script, too. I just don't understand, like, who this joke is for. Like, it's really bizarre that the son of a legendary Hollywood screenwriter would be making jokes like this in his movie. Like, like also, as though he has no idea of how real screenwriting works in Hollywood. Well, it's like maybe he thinks that, you know, middle America won't fucking get it sure. either. But like my mind while watching this mo- movie in air quotes wanted to heal itself. So I started thinking of better movies. And so I just thought to myself, you can guess what happens next. He fixes the copier. Don't be fatuous, Jeffrey. It's cable, but sure. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Um, So only to stop, you know, after making the bed to start making notes for the first time on West LA high school. 
Oh, we should mention somewhere in here, Meg Ryan wakes up alone in bed, of course, uh, even though she has a husband in this movie. And she goes in and she's like kind of like feeling around. She finds a lump or something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's that's going to be her drama for this. She's got the lady cancer. Mm-hmm. And uh, no husband in the bed. Mm-hmm. Which is very confusing when Clark Gregg does show up. <laughs> the most confusing thing to me was Clark Gregg's eyebrows because it looks like they've been plucked. It was really distracting in every scene he's in. Tell me how 2007 Clark Gregg gets a 2007, 2000 anytime Meg Ryan. Mm-hmm. Is also his character's name is Nelson. I mean, come on. Um, yeah, fucking Nelson. There's some bad, bad male names in this. I mean, um, I guess if I were Carter Webb here, I would also be really broken up about having having been like dunked by Doctor Poison because like I'll never date someone like that again. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, him like writing his notes where he just types "I miss you so much" or something like that to Sophia. You're just like, dude, come on. Well. But a lot of like that laptop is right in front of that mirror. So he's just constantly looking at himself. So at some point, Meg Ryan brings him cookies. Sure. I don't know why. Because um, she wants the D. I mean, you know, she knows her I, husband's cheating. She she takes this guy out into the woods at one point. Like, I feel oh, like that scene is hilarious. Adam Brody's really slow in the uptake of like what this is. But I here's my here's my issue. <laughs> it's, it's still Adam Brody. I just. It's not like, I know this is kind of more modern, but it's not like Chris Hemsworth is moving in next door to take care of his grandmother. Well, I think the movie never wants to acknowledge what's really happening here. But, like, obviously in this situation, it would be like, oh, he's just here for a few weeks checking in on his grandmother. This is a perfect dude to have an affair with. He'll be gone soon. And it's like, you don't have to worry about it, you know? But these movies are there's these movies where it's constantly about like this mediocre white guy because he is the star of the movie can be going through a whole fucking phase where he's at his lowest. But do not worry. Do not worry, audience. Incredible women are going to throw themselves at him. Mm -hmm. It's fine. It's fine. But like, let me my issue. Let me give you the reverse example of my issue. I really enjoyed up in the air. If you have George Cooney, he's not like in like a fat suit or like balding or something. I, I don't understand when he doesn't understand women or he doesn't have any experience at all with women. That I'd like, okay, you're still George Clooney though. Like mm-hmm. you're going to show up looking like George Clooney, like reverses. It's Adam Brody. I, I don't think 2007 Adam Brody is getting a, uh, 2000 anytime. Ryan. Any, um, so Sterling dialogue from the grandmother. She's like, Oh, that's Mrs. Harding Hard, And she's like, Oh, actually it's Hardwick. And the grandmother's like, who gives a shit? That's her character. Mm-hmm. That's her in a nutshell. She's sassy. Yeah, she'll die later. Uh, so the second time he's met Meg Ryan, I think this is when they go for the first dog walk, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they, he's they do a walk around the block. Yeah, yeah, he's the the walking the dog. Like the dog is such an afterthought. Anyway, so he's yapping away about his flight out and how he spent the time on the flight reading the epic romantic emails that he wrote to his ex, and he's like, not that she wrote him. Yeah, no, no, uh, he's like. Narrative voice of reading these things. He's like, oh, we're going to write the most epic. We're going to have the most epic love story of all time. And I am writing it. I mean, you can just imagine the replies to those emails are like, okay, I'll see you at seven. You know? Yeah. Um, oh, that's really nice so, of you to say. And then like the little, like the little footer, like, uh, like sent with Google translate. Um, and then like my number seven top moment is these just like, yeah. It's always weird. I pride myself on being such a great listener, but here I'm meeting a new person. I'm just talking about myself. 
classic dialogue. She's like, maybe you're not such a great listener. And he's like, what? And she's like, maybe you're not a great listener. And he's like, what? That doesn't make any sense. I'm a great listener. That's it's, his character. Well, it's like the movie knows enough to make a joke about that, but never really interrogates it further. Nope. Because or ultimately, ultimately, this will be the guy who's kind of like there to fix the problems in these women's lives and then leave after shoving his tongue down both of their throats. How does he fix the problems in their lives? I feel like he just says he's to just Meg there Ryan, to listen, man. I feel like he says to Meg Ryan, hey, I heard you sort of. You're amazing. And then to case two, he's like, I heard you get the fuck over your shit. He's they just needed a man to validate them. That's why he's there. <laughs> Not the lane you want to be in, Kasdan boy. Um, so, yeah, then Clark Gregg shows up as the dad. Um, Look at those eyebrows. Yeah, he he looks like he's like doing time on a soap opera. And really, I think at this point, he's probably like in some background thing in west wing or whatever the fuck mammoth's doing yeah i don't know what he would have been doing at this time but um he's like we find out later he's been having an affair but his character doesn't seem like normally in a movie they'd make him a little sleazier like he seems like he's generally being a good husband if maybe a little bit absent it only comes up really one more time other than them when he shows up late that one time yeah yeah but like Unlike other elements of the movie, they do kind of, sort of call back to it. So, um, when he shows up, I'm like, "Who the fuck? What the fuck is Clark Gregg doing here?" Oh yeah, okay, he's the husband. Whatever. Um, Meg Ryan tries to proxy date Adam Brody by convincing her teenage daughter that she okay. should go to a movie with this guy. Before we get into this, my drink is dry. I need to go to another one, get another one, and then we need to discuss what's going on here with her proxy date. Sounds capital. All right. Are we lubricated? Yeah, I'm going to get fucked up. <laughs> Take a good deep sip before we continue. Well, we're going. We're going right now. Where were we? Lady cancer. Um, we're, we're at Meg Ryan proxy dating Adam Brody by convincing her teenage daughter to go on a movie with the 26-year-old man who lives across the street. Real quick, before that, I just want to point out, I'm pretty sure that Meg Ryan is robo-tripping in this movie. She goes and drinks a bunch of cough syrup at one point. <laughs> at one point, um, I think has she told has she told her daughter about the cancer yet? Not yet. Point? No, no. Okay, her the Casey's reaction is interesting. Um, well, okay, so you mentioned in your your top moments later on in the movie, she's gonna be like, you you will never touch my daughter again. You know, which mm-hmm. okay, fine. She never. Why? It's never the age. That's the problem of one of the many problems. Why did you try to set your daughter up with this twenty-something-year-old man who lives across the street? Like, what was the end game there? Why were you like you should go on a date with that guy? I mean, okay, they don't say date, but she's like you should take him to the movies. That's a date, right? Like, what are you doing exactly? The 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 first example of this that I've seen elsewhere in in entertainment that you would recall. Doesn't Maggie purposely push the roommate onto Jim on the first season of the newsroom or second season of the newsroom? But that's they're both of age, though. That's different, right? Like, oh, it's, yeah, 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 it, yeah. it would be the, one the thing, thing is super icky. But if if he was like the new teenage boy who moved in across the street and she was like, hey, why don't you go hang out with that guy? Like, you know, go to the movies like that would be totally different than like, 
hey, my 16-year-old daughter, you should go make that 26-year-old man go on a date with you. That's weird. It's a shit sandwich, for sure. Um, Casey's reaction is, well, that would be embarrassing. And, like, we know why, right? (laughs) (laughs) But it's just, like, this accepted worldview where this guy is apparently just, like, fucking hot. Um, eh. But, like, what gets me is, okay, so Meg Ryan is obviously doing this thing. It's weirder, much, much weirder and wrong because it's her teenage daughter. Here's where Clark Ragg and his his waxed eyebrows isn't doesn't say a fucking peep. Yeah, I mean, he knows he's been cheating. He feels bad that the wife's got the lady cancer now. I don't know. Uh, sure. He's like, I'm sorry. I'm still trying to memorize dialogue from Glengarry Glenn Ross. Do it thou wilt. <laughs> mm-hmm. Always be closing that weird lady cancer boner thing. Um, yeah, so then then the aforementioned Adam Brody's the kind of dude who goes jogging while listening to Huey Lewis and he knocks himself out into a tree. He lays there in the in the grass for a while before like he's a, it's the the classic thing where it's like he looks up into the sun and the sun's, you know, got the golden hair of Case too looking down on him. Okay, oh, can, um, can we mention the younger daughter like it's this thing that like these movies would do where like the younger child's weird, you know, like she's doing yoga in this, she's very precocious. Mhm. It's never really explained why this daughter is so kind of weird and why it's beyond her years. It's just like a character. She is the test tube version of the Chloe Moretz character in 500 Days of Summer. And maybe a tiny bit of uh, Vanderbeek's little brother in Varsity Blues. I don't even remember his little brother in Varsity Blues. His little brother is like a weird Jesus freak, but it was like a little bit similar vibe, though. How sad is it that? What I remember most about Varsity Blues is Chris Evans in the other movies saying, I don't want your wife. What movie is that? Not another teen movie. Oh, yeah, I never saw that. It's, uh, you know, for those kind of stupid movies, it's it's not bad. It's like, it's not like a scary movie. It's like way better than that. Um, but still kind of kind of goofy. And it's got like a, a cast that went on the, to be interesting, like, like Chris Evans playing Vanderbeek. So... At some point, Meg Ryan and Clark Gregg drive all the way to another town to get the test to confirm the the lump diagnosis. Mm-hmm. They do that thing that happens in movies that seems totally fine in a movie, but like if you actually think about it, it makes no sense. Where they drive not only all the way back to their town, they pull up into their own driveway before they ever actually discuss the situation. Yeah, not on the ride home. Oh, should we mention just the the grandmother here uh olympia dukakis like she keeps insisting that she's going to die even though apparently she's gone to the hospital they found nothing wrong with her and so Mm. of course at the end of the week she's gonna die like i don't know it's like what what are you trying to communicate or something that the doctors found nothing wrong with her and yet she dies anyway like it's some sort of like she knows her time thing or something i believe that and brody poisoned her Mm -hmm. he wanted the house yeah Mm -hmm. so she offered him so he could move now. in right across the street from Case Two and her mother and try to get with both of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But this, I mean, you have to, you know, it's like when you watch like the fucking first Jack Reacher movie. And it's like the movie firmly believes that like Tom Cruise is like the hottest piece of ass of all time, which is a little more believable than the mo- this movie thinking the same thing of 
Adam Brody. Is it a weird detail that when they're on one of their walks with the dog, there's like a clown getting his balloons yes. out of the trunk yes. of the car? It's very weird. I was like, what the fuck is that? Like, why are you like, not? Why are you glossing over this? Like, you couldn't get that guy out the street. He's just like, Ooh. I got a party to go to. I'm not moving my fucking car. You're going to have to shoot around me. I'll sign whatever you want. I'm just, I'm late. Um, especially like in universe of the movie, I believe that's like a Wednesday morning at like 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what the fuck is this clown going in suburban Michigan? Um, yeah, so Meg Ryan's got issues with K Stu, so she wants the dad to go tell K Stu about the cancer, which way to really like not even include your daughter in your your thing. Well, she's gonna take the younger daughter to the ice cream shop to tell her, which is again, as I mentioned. Um and then the next thing that I, I remember, there's a scene where Adam Brody wakes up, and I just thought it was hilarious because it's 2007. And there's bands that I had totally forgot about, and I'm stunned to hear them over scenes of this movie, like Mates of State. And it's like, what are you doing in this movie? What is the music selection of this movie? It's just like what Jonathan Kasson likes to listen to or something? I, I, I don't know. But, you know, I'm also the guy who, like, has never, ever been impressed with Cameron Crowe's musical taste. Neither have I. Yeah, and same. I, I hate that. Like, I was told that. Oh, Free Fallen! Is, what a deep cut! Yeah. Well, like people would be like, "Almost Famous" is a great movie. I He's don't understand. I just don't get it. I know a lot of people love that movie. I don't get it personally. Everyone knows that his masterpiece is Elizabeth Town, mm. which is almost <laughs> this movie too. Oh God, this could be a real shitty, like white mediocre guy film fest. Yeah, I mean, you get some Last Kiss. You get, because I think Last Kiss, even more than Garden State, is where you want to go there. Oh, yeah, Garden State. I will say the Garden State has enough visual style to fill a trailer with a Fru Fru song, with an Imogen Heap song over it. (laughs) So Meg Ryan leads Adam Brody, like, to, like, a, into the middle of the woods, basically, like a little creek somewhere, like, what is and then she's just like my husband's having an affair. What do you think is going on here? Why do you think you're here, Adam Brody? Well, well first, so after the the clown thing, he fesses up that he essentially his move is he continuously projects his fantasy into every girl he dates, mm. and it then takes him four to five months to realize that they're not who he wants them to be. Mm. And she's like, "Well, what about the French ex?" And he's like, "Huh, I guess I did that to her too." Which to me, it's like, dude, she just gave you like a year of psychotherapy in like one session. You're good. Go home. At a certain point in this movie, she says to him, I think it was earlier, she says, you're going to be all right. And it happens like within maybe 20 to 25 minutes of the movie. Like, and you've already got the character saying you're going to be fine. And then like, he is fine for the rest of the movie, basically. And it's like, what is the conflict in this movie? Oh, yeah. Who wants to read the first draft of my, my new script where it's a bunch of characters getting together and they're like all trying to start a monologue about what's wrong. And then halfway through, someone cuts them off and says, you're going to be fine. Well, all of these like it, with the exception of her lady cancer, all their problems are just extremely first world. Nothing problems at all. It's like, OK, you're a successful Hollywood screenwriter. You got dumped by your hot girlfriend. You're going to be fine. You know, oh, oh you're a, an angsty teenage girl who's like worried about like kissing her boyfriend you're gonna be okay don't worry about it. you know it's like these problems are not huge which is like come on you've done other stuff maybe you haven't done mouth stuff you've probably done hand stuff but yeah when 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 benjo says lady cancer it's let's, let's clarify 
she has cancer in the same place where Richard Roundtree got cancer. So it happens. Um, yeah. So the scene you're talking about, they wander into the woods. She says, this is so bizarre. This is like my number eight top moment. She says, I have this whole science fiction scenario here in my head where since there's no evidence of modern life here that I could just walk out of these woods and suddenly be in any time in any place. And he super fucking goofy responds with, I love that. And then she's like, by the way, my, my husband's cheating on me. She's like, how many, how many ways can I communicate to you that I would be open to have an affair here without just stating it and feeling gross about it? She's like, I will fuck you like Isabel Hubert fucked uh, uh, Marky Mark in the like face down in the mud in that movie. What here. movie? Uh, I Fart Huckabees. Oh, did you say I Fart Huckabees? <laughs> I really did. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> oh, I love it. How that. are you not yourself? You rock, rock. Mm-hmm. And then they, after that, where he like seemingly just does not get the message, they go shopping. They go shopping. It's waiting for them to start a goddamn book club together. <laughs> she knows he like he grabs like a bottle of vodka as they're pushing their cart down. Also, she has two ginormous fucking boxes of saltines for her family. Yeah, she's got of, two daughters. The, That's a vomiting? lot of saltines there. Oh, I was just thinking like because of the impending vomiting i don't think it's because of that personally also i should say her her lady cancer progresses amazingly fast in this movie she goes from like having a uh like a biopsy or something to like like almost dead basically over the course of like a week this is this is how chemo affects the body so i'm not saying it, it doesn't affect the body but like it's like she's about to die suddenly is like how it it kind of portrays it the physical representation, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point, I think in this shopping trip, which also they're doing that side by side cart thing down the middle of the aisle. I was waiting for like all the extras to be like, "Get the fuck out of the way!" It's like, "Hey, I know this is cute to you, but the rest of us here, we got shit to do." Yeah, fuck you. I've got to go buy tampons for my wife here, asshole. Um, at one point, I want to say it's here. She's talking about like the places she wishes she could visit again, like New York or whatever. And then she talks about how she wishes she was like strong enough to just eat a fucking Butterfinger in the middle of the store. And that's the one where he's like, here you go. He do it. Hands her one and she eats it. Yeah. I was waiting for the clerk to be like, you're paying for that. <laughs> we still have a society to run here, lady. Um, so, yeah, this, then 45 minutes in the movie. Um, yes, John, I will be nerding over Case Stu in a big way. This is where Case Stu suddenly starts doing her giant paintings in their massive basement. And not just painting big ass paintings where there's like a bunch of weird fucking paint spread everywhere. And she's like chewing on the end of that paintbrush. You gotta let, you gotta let us know that she's artsy. You know, that's her but, thing. But if you don't know that she's artsy, there's a bunch of pounding on the door and then like a tortured genius. She screams, what? The and only little, thing that was missing yeah. was like, for some reason she's doing like, she's making like sheet metal art or something where she welds. I think that was yeah. the only thing that was missing there. Or, um, or beret. Yeah. What is up with like the raccoon scene? Why is this scene in the movie? It's like his mom calls him or something. And then there's like a raccoon outside at the window trying to get in. And he just stares at it for a while. And then he eventually shoes it away. What is the symbolism here? I don't think there is any. I was going to say, this movie has not earned an attempt at symbolism. I don't know what the fuck the point of this was. Um, The sister again is great. She's like, talking she tells case two in 2007 here that whenever she's confused about something in her life she just like looks it up on the internet <laughs> kids he says 
And she has to explain the case to like how the process will work. She's going to have the mastectomy, and then a little bit left after that, some chemo, possibly some radiation. And Kristen Stewart, 17 years old, is like, and this doesn't scare the shit out of you. And the little sister named Paige, who's I don't know how old because I don't know how old kids are, she says, well, of course it does. But since I'm not a breast surgeon or an oncologist, there's nothing I can do about it tonight, is there? The little sister is also super thirsty for this mutual date with Adam Brody. Yeah, it, it, like it kind of turns into a thing where like it's sort of like a play date between him and her and, and him and Casey kind of like are kind of in on it. Like it's weird because she's like, I want to marry you later, you know, the little sister and like they both laugh about it. Like it's so ambiguous as to what we're supposed to be getting from these characters, especially when they start making out with each other later. You know, like both Case Stu yeah. and him and uh, Meg Ryan. Well, the little sister, so they're strolling through the mall there, and she was just <laughs> this ridiculous line. Again, the little sister stuff is the only stuff that really works for me. She says, I was thinking we should eat before the movie. Do you like pizza? They have exquisite pizza here. All right, and he says, he says, you know, I was a lot like you when I was younger. And she says, feminine? <laughs> he says, precocious. There's Maybe a version of this movie where he's not trying to get into the pants of two different uh, women in this family. And it is more, I don't know, just about him like finding new perspectives or something like that. But that's not this movie. I would respect this movie more if he was actively admitting that he was trying to yeah. make this happen. Yeah. Girls. Or like he wasn't too hurt that it was happening. But this whole like, oh, this poor sensitive guy who's going for heartbreak. These these attractive blonde women just keep falling on him is even more insidious. Um, so they pass like the giant big modeling shots of the French ex on some store in the mall. I think she's selling jeans. Levi's, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and there's like a comment about how like the little sister knows that uh, this model is dating Colin Farrell now, which leads to like lots of like Colin Farrell jokes where he's like anti Colin Farrell, which 2007 Colin Farrell and 2007 Dr. Poison. That makes sense to me mm-hmm. more than this dude. That's for sure. So he runs into case dude. He never, he never guy. acknowledges to them like, yeah, that's my ex-girlfriend, which I feel like I think he would say it personally. I don't think oh, this guy is telling everyone this guy is telling the fucking ticketing agent at the airport absolutely then Uh, this this bathroom scene can we talk about this yes please yes please well like he has to go to the bathroom seemingly to like wipe his brow after like encountering a photo of his girlfriend on the the levi's there's a lot of that there's a lot of there's a lot of like people have to go to the bathroom to process news and they just like wash their hands and he gives himself this like dumb pep talk which uh, i don't even have the dialogue for but it's, it's like whatever um, and then after he's done giving himself the pep talk, this dude exits the stall and there's this whole conversation where it's like, oh, this is weird. Like, this is my worst fear. Like to walk out of the bathroom after taking a dump and like realize that I know the guy who's like here in the bathroom and he just saw me taking a dump. And it's like, do you know each other? Oh, yeah. You were that one character who said nothing in that one scene earlier in the movie. So I guess that's how you know each other. And they had this really had... bizarre conversation. I have had. 20 minute deep conversations about philosophical issues with people that I didn't recognize an hour later when I ran into them again. And they said hello to me by name. I'm sure she's not going to recognize this guy based on this scenario, but yeah, well, I mean, uh, the caveat here, this guy saw him like do the, I'm taking your cigarette hostage move with the girl he wants. Right. Like maybe you'd remember him then. 
It's like the Five Nights at Summer thing where JGL looks in the, the window and sees Han. It's like this guy looks over at Adam Brody, of all people, and I guess he sees, like, James fucking Dean. Um, this guy, who, by the way, is a fucking haircut who also happens to be 82% teeth. Um, this guy Works at Orange Julius. Yeah. He explains, which to me is such a... I do have a great era. Orange Julius recipe. Okay. Okay. Sorry, continue. Um, that that rings true to me about like mall. What I understand of mall culture, especially from this time period. But anyways, this dude explains that his big fear, his big fear in life, is that he'll be in this bathroom, in this stall here, taking a massive, disgusting shit, really stinking the place up, and then he'll walk out of the stall, and there'll be someone staying there who he recognizes, and they'll be smelling his shit. This guy doesn't have like a secret bathroom he can go to. I don't know. Yeah. I guess that's cool. Well, I mean. Orange Julius is in the middle of nowhere in that mall, so I guess I guess they have to use the Hoi Polloi restroom. But like, well, he walks out, and it's like it's kind of awkward. Escalating thing to share right off the bat. I mean, maybe that was part of his strategy. I don't know, but he walks out, and it's like awkward because Casey's there, and it's like you know this guy's wondering like, is this a date? Like, what is the situation? This is so weird. Why are you hanging out with this dude who's in his mid twenties? I feel embarrassed because I work at Orange Julius. See, like, and then they eventually just like, kind of like, we're all, in the out. well, eventually the scene ends with them just kind of being like, we're gonna walk away from each other now because uh, this is weird. Well, and he's like, okay, fine, guy whose name I don't even know, and it's like, guy, who are you in love with? You in love with Case Two or this guy? Well, he he like tells her like, oh yeah, I, I work at Orange Julius because like uh, that car that your like quasi boyfriend drives it's actually mine. I like I restored it, but it costs a ton of money, so that's why I work this job. Which I don't believe that your Orange Julius paycheck in high school is going to remotely pay for that, but sure. Sure. Sure, whatever. I mean, this is 2007. I don't know what minimum wage was, but I think it was garbage, especially in Michigan. And so they eventually just kind of walk away. And like Adam Brody kind of, he does the thing where he's just like, hey, let's get the fuck out of here, you know? And it's like turn and walk away from this dude. Mm -hmm. So they go to to the movies the movies playing are really weird there's a movie called cleaner a movie called age of adeline and a movie called pattern recognition that are all playing also the the movies are five dollars these are nighttime viewing prices by the way did you see oceans eight i haven't yet no yeah neither neither i kind of wanted to then i just didn't is hotel artemis out now it is yeah Okay. I feel like I owe more to see Ocean's 8. You know, Gary Ross. Every time I'm like, oh, I could go see that, I'm like, ah, but it's Gary Ross. (laughs) I just saw this picture of Clark Gregg. Just Clark Gregg's whole Clark Gregg-ness. Talk about a guy who's got two first names. Um, Yeah, so... (laughs) The little sister's like, let's go see the Colin Farrell movie. And he's just like, shut your fucking mouth. <laughs> By the way, the, the only two uh, items of trivia on the IMDb page for this movie are that uh, he's going to see Age of Adeline, even though that movie hadn't come out yet. And then mm-hmm. like the next trivia comment, the only other trivia comment is somebody saying like, like, like it's some like, like flame war argument. Like, oh, it's, it's, it's spelled with an E instead of an A. It's a different movie. You're an idiot or something like that. 
Nice. I'm glad that they could settle their beef in the uh, IMDb trivia page. Yeah, really. Um, the eventually later, it's like they they go home from the date. The little sister's in love with this guy. She's like, "Will you marry me?" Oh man, that girl's gonna need some therapy later. Um, uh, that actress uh, has grown up to appear on things here and there. She is lovely. Yeah, I. She was in some TV show, I think, recently. I can't remember what. I feel weird now because she's like 24. I think she was in like 13 Reasons Why. That's what it is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you watch that or did you see that like on the... Uh, I saw it on IMDb. I've not seen that show. It, it sounds horrible. I wasn't planning on watching. I have to admit, given all the controversy about it, I'm like maybe like 5% more likely to watch it just because of that. Uh, but I probably won't watch it. I had a dark moment over the weekend where I briefly considered starting it, and instead I went and downloaded and rewatched Love Simon. That's probably a good idea. I feel I good know. about that. There's something occasionally that fascinates me about like these movies or these TV shows like shouldn't exist. Like I can't believe they made this. Like that, on a certain level, intrigues me. I guess. So like you, you're just waiting to hear that like this fall on Stars in the Land of Women, the TV show. Oh wow! Yeah. No, that's not happening. Not until we pitch it, anyways. Anyway, um, just yeah, make sure so, Jonathan Gazin doesn't listen to this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna pitch it to Jake, mm. narrator. They didn't. Um, yeah. So, Case Two then takes Adam Brody for like a late night drive. Mind you, there's like a whole thing. Okay, let's talk about this detail. Oh, that's right. They go to the. They go to the. Middle of the school field, yeah. When she actually asks, she like honors her mother's request and asks him essentially out on this date. His immediate response is, Does your mom ever let you like go out on a school night? And she's like, No, not really. And he's like, Find out if she will and get back to me. What the fuck? I don't know. And then later, poor Casey. He's he's working a a pretty good neg game, even though he doesn't want to acknowledge it, I guess. Was it is he like working both women through this like he's going to look cool to case do and like i don't know make something happen with meg ryan like make her all flutter but then the super tragic scene is when case do because she is a teenage girl is like telling her sister about this and she's like he was like get back to me which is like pretty cool right and the sister's like swoon um so then after the date she like he, he tries to call i think this is when he calls sophia and it's like she's like drunk and partying or something like that. No, no, that's that's later. That's later, that's later, okay. Yeah, it's a um, different case two outing. Yeah, yeah. So Casey shows up at his window and you know knock knock. Which, that would terrify me at this age. I'd be like, you got to get the fuck off my property before the cops get here. Really? And even though it's case two, you found me in my darkest moment when I'm at my most low. Mm-hmm. How dare? Yeah. Um, continue, like, Casey. What can I do for you? Do you mean to kill someone for you? I'll do that. Swear to do God. you want to read do you want to read my script <laughs> so they go to like uh the high school football field because he like he's mentioned how like he didn't go to a real high school so he didn't have his like john hughes moment or whatever and like she kind of vaguely explains her like relationship status with this one dude who she's like kind of dating but not really and they haven't really kissed yet and they like share a cigarette oh. this whole scene is so boring um yeah, so she's lighting a cigarette. Like, she's the James Dean of the movie. And she says... She really she is. Looks, I mean, she... She looks cool when she's smoking. Casey knows how to handle a cigarette. Let's just put it that way. I mean, don't smoke, kids, but she knows how to handle a cigarette. Oh, smoking's terrible. 
Yeah. But like, I don't know how she's not the star of the movie. Anyway, she kind so she of says, is. I mean, she's on the the poster. Yeah, as like the teenage ingenue that's thrown at this guy. Anyway, so she says, "So I think I'm dating the quarterback of the football team." <laughs> I, I don't know. Does it get more Breakfast Club than that? And it's like, bro, respect the fact that this girl here either secretly knew this shit and like is throwing that back at you now that she's actually smart about movie references back when we considered back when we considered pop culture knowledge to be like intellect. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later she's describing this dude and she's like, Gabe's really confident, maybe even cocky. <laughs> like, What is the point of the scene? I I can only assume that this like happened in real life to Jonathan Kazan because why else is it here? But so she's dating this guy. I think she intimates that they have done something. She says they they've like sort kissed. of kissed or something. So I, 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 I take it sort of kiss. I, I think we're supposed to understand that she is. We'll find out later when she tells that story. She's uncomfortable about physical intimacy because of this weird thing that happened to her when she's 11 years old. Okay. I like think maybe like 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 neck kissing. Or no, I, I think like, she just like hasn't really done much with this guy, even though they're kind of dating just because she's uncomfortable. I think that's what we're supposed to get there. Which makes sense. I in my mind, too, of course, I'm thinking about her description because I'm always fascinated by the world of high school as displayed through the the filter of whatever the property is like, you know, like Lady Bird felt like a very real high school scenario if you're in the world of those characters. Um, but I started thinking back to the dude and like how Lucy Hale is just like, like getting eaten out by some random dude she just met. <laughs> I don't think that movie is a completely accurate representation of high school, personally. Probably not. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, uh, but everyone's having more fun than me, so what do I Let's Let's get uh, to the rain scene where like, Meg Ryan's just standing out in the rain, completely soaked to the bone. I guess it's like been a few days and he hasn't like come by to like walk the dog with her or something. No, like, she she had told him that she didn't know when she'd be able to do this again. Mm-hmm. And that's why they went shopping together. But like I, I seem to recall there's some dialogue here where it's like he hasn't really checked in on her or anything. I don't know. Eventually they meet up again. It's raining. I think she's is, crying in the rain. Yeah. She thinks yeah. that her daughter has told him about the cancer, but case uh, two has not. And so yeah. she admits that she's sick here and she's like kind of freaking out, panic attacking. Like she has to sit down, she's crying and he's trying to, you know, tell her he's going to be okay. And then they just start making out and they stand up and they make out some more. And it just like, does this kind of like flash cut to white? And it's like, mm-hmm. did they smash? I don't think so, because it's not, I don't know, in the language of cinema, that wasn't enough to let us know that, like, oh, yeah, they, they went and had sex. Like, it just seemed right. like they made out. No train went in the tunnel. But, yeah, so my first thought was when the, the smash to white, not smash to the bed, and then, like, him typing away is, like, oh, he's, like, a softcore porn screenwriter. Is he just writing that scene? Like, it has to end with them making out voraciously? I don't know. Well, he's because writing somehow, this thing he's uh, writing too. this like stupid, like children's book thing about a teddy bear named Pandy who was replaced by Colin Farrell. Like, God, get over yeah. it, dude. Oh, and it all based out of some throwaway line that he threw at his grandmother. But yeah, somehow because it's Adam Brody 
it's like they're making out in the rain, which in movie language should be the hottest fucking thing of all time. And it's not the sexy Mrs. Robinson shit that it should be. Do, 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 do. Well, because it cuts um, too quickly. It's weird. Yeah. And it's and through the whole movie, we're just wondering, like, are we supposed to be rooting for this? This is weird. Like, even though she's even though her husband's having an affair, this still feels kind of strange because he's fairly young and he's also romancing her daughter. Like, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be feeling right now. Just very confused about myself. So Kesu comes to visit him. This is when they start to dress her right. I felt like or like like teenager. Well, um, she this, comes to his. This is when the grandmother is like not wearing any pants, right? Yeah, she's wearing just like a long sweater. Um, so Adam Brody again. I would not have done this at 26. He tells Kesu, "Come in, go to my bedroom while I sit here and like scream my fucking head off at my grandmother for answering the door like with no pants on." Not the move of like. Hey, let me just duck outside and talk to you. Yeah. Oh, also, Meg Ryan was having that breakdown and worried about his opinion because the following day she was having a mastectomy. Mm -hmm. I I would argue that she was not in her right mind. He started like grabbing her and kissing her. Um, So this is seemingly sometime later after the mastectomy, after Meg Ryan has started her chemo. They go to then it's teen party time, right? Well, so yeah, so case two imparts that this is this is her situation the weird dude that she's been dating has like hooked up with her best friend it's a whole fucking nightmare and he actually i think gives her good advice about this party which is show up look fantastic have a great time walk out of there like a rock star which and she's like by the way you need she, to come with she's wearing like a little back black dress here that's like way too sophisticated for the room like it, it's pretty oh, funny yeah. that like the dress she's wearing versus what everyone else is dressed like um, yeah, well, she's, she's the case too. Like, like but I mean, dream. she's like, I'm going to show up with this like 26 year old guy who's like maybe quasi with me, and I'm just going to kind of use it to establish my dominance. Uh, she describes him as older, intelligent, and mysterious. I will only uh, allow one of those one three of those is words. correct. Yeah, yeah, I will He's only definitely allow. older. Yeah, um, he is definitely nine years older than her. Yes. Um, so the kid throwing the party ends up being. The son of the dude that Adam Brody's mom had a throwaway line about how she was in love with this guy when she was a teenager. And like it goes nowhere. Later he goes into the study and he sees like a lot of photos of the like the older dude and he seems like a tool and he calls the mom, but then he accidentally called Sophia. Like, I don't know, it's stupid. No, 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 no. No, the phone rings. He thinks it's his Oh, that's mother. right, yeah. And it's actually Sophia, because he's like, Mom, you're never gonna guess where I am. Um this older guy, the guy who owns the house, Rodney Porchnik, has a bunch of taxidermy shit in his office and a bunch of asshole photos of himself on the wall, including Smoking one cigars. with Cheney. Yeah. One of Cheney. Ugh. Also, there's Rogue Wave Topical. playing in the background of this high school party. I remember this was like right when I got into Rogue Wave and then I watched this movie and I was just like, oh, I'm on Zeitgeist. <laughs> you felt validated by In the Land of Women. Shut up. I'm like jumping up and down of joy at that. Adam Brody is wearing a hoodie to this thing, by the way. He's got like a red shirt and a gray he hoodie is on. you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't worry. Don't worry. They will never publish your love. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is when the high school bullies go after Adam Brody. And I. This just I, seems like such I a fantasy. The, I had the dialogue from this. Do you? Oh, um, it's I have the INDP page up. Do you want to yeah. act it out? Who do you want to be? Oh, hold on. Let me find it real quick. Um. I have it from starting with you think. 
Can I be Gabe Foley? Are you sure you don't want to be Carter Webb? <laughs> Didn't we just validate? <laughs> yeah, of course you can be Gabe Foley. Hey, what? Are, it's your call. Oh, you be Gabe Foley. Play that role. All right, I am Gabe Foley, the kind of quasi boyfriend of Case Stew, who seemingly went and hooked up with their best friends, so they're not this, dating anymore. But yeah, this guy looks like if Logan Eccles stand in. He's got, got bangs. Let's put it that way. Got a gift certificate to Brooks Brothers. Yeah. Okay. You think you can step into my hood, sling a game at my girl, drinking my boy's brew, and expect not to be scrapping directly? What? Are you deaf and stupid? I said. Don't. Don't repeat all that, please. I think the answer to your question depends on whether you have, like, a learning disability or you're just an average moron. Then I punch you and I say, okay. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. That's your line. Too. <laughs> that's what I, I, just, I just punch you. Yeah. I say, okay. Above average moron. <laughs> Burn. Yeah. But again, it's, it's. If this kid, this weird little kid had just said, welcome to the OC, bitch. <laughs> so we do in Orange bitch. County. Yeah. And everyone's like crowded around. And then this like Eric guy like runs out and it's just like, fuck you, man. I'll let you drive my car. We're done. You're not well, friends he, anymore. He, he defends case too. Cause that's what really what this is all about. Yeah. It's all about the case too. As it should be. Oh, I'm assuming all high school parties and their fights are about case too. And he's like, like, Defending her honor, and like this asshole is the one who blew it. And then, of course, he's storming away. He turns back and says, I can't believe I let you drive my car, <laughs> which nobody can. We can't either, dude. Come on. Come on, bathroom boy. Uh, so, so, case two drives Adam Brody home. And well, this is when they, this is when they have this conversation about like her kind of like, I mean, it's not a molestation thing because they're both 11, but it was just like a weird experience you know mm-hmm. sexually where they felt like they both went too far and it's like kind of a, a mental block for her and she's trying to pour her heart about about this and he's just like whatever man like like he just completely shits all over it and he's just like your mom's gonna die like god get over yourself well yeah because it's not just that happened and she's weird about it it's that afterwards her mom would never talk to her about it yeah and that's when he's just like your mom might die get the fuck over it this is so he gets out of the car this is when you're like oh yeah that's right you're in your mid-20s and she's a teenager hmm yeah that's, yeah, that's probably why uh, a relationship wouldn't work too well between the two. And she, I will say this for her character. They get the parts of her being a teenager right, I think. It's it's the fact that he's in her world that makes no sense. So he storms off and she's like, oh, oh, so are we just done? And he's mm-hmm. like, yeah, we're done, whatever. And she's like, what the fuck, man? And he's like, he starts going off on this whole thing where he's like tearing her down, the 17-year-old girl. Like, Oh, he has a whole little speech, up. yeah. Yeah, you need to wake the fuck up. The world is wild and crazy. It's not what you want. Like, get the fuck over it. Oh, I, I got the dialogue like, here. Do you want it? Oh, please, please do it. I'm trying to wake you up. He's saying this to you, six-year-old girl. I'm trying to wake you up. There's a big fucking world out there. It's messy and it's chaotic. And it's never, it's never, ever the thing you expect. It's okay to be scared, but you cannot allow your fears to turn you into an asshole. Not when it comes to people that you really love, that really love you, the people that need you. And she says, so I guess we're done, right? And he's like, yeah, we're done. And he storms off. The 26-year-old man. <laughs> and then so, they make out. Yeah, she runs over to him. And this is the poster image where she, they just make out in the street and her in this fantastic black dress. And him, unfortunately, being Anna Brody in a hoodie. And it's weird. And then we get Meg Ryan sees it all from across the street inside the house. Well, this is devastated. this is after learning that like she, like her and physical intimacy are not friends, you know, like 
it's hard for her to even kiss like her boyfriend. But yeah, she's so turned on by him, like dissing her there and like well, plus, telling her how it is that she's got to go make out with him. And he told her earlier that basically like, don't worry. At some point, you'll just find yourself in a moment with a person. And, and this is the moment. Yeah, of um, course. When some older guy just kind of like condescends to you and treats you like shit and yells at you and tells you to get over yourself. That's definitely when you want to make out with him. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me take some quick notes. Um, yeah. So the next day, Adam Brody's like going jogging or I think it's the next day, the transitions in this movie. Let me just say the transition in this movie. It's like, I is it a day? Them. Is it the next day? Is it a week later? Yeah. Who knows? They remind me a little bit of like closer, but it was perfectly at home and closer. How, how, did a movie how like dare closer you compare this to closer? I was gonna say, how did a movie like closer come out in the same era as all this? But like, they were perfect transitions that made a lot of sense where time needed to pass. Anyway, so he's jogging the next day. He somehow doesn't crash into like a tree, I guess, because he's just like fantasizing about how he's going to smash up two blonde girls in the same family. He's got way too much jam. He lets himself into Meg Ryan's house. And this is when she's just like, like you, but sweeter. (laughs) He lets himself into her house and she's like, Again, sickened by his presence and, of course, the chemo. And she's like, I know it's a little bit my fault, but you have to hear this. You are never going to touch my daughter again. Like, what? He's like, he's like, (sighs) sigh. Like, okay, yes, he shouldn't be touching your daughter. But, like, what were you thinking you were setting up there, Meg Ryan? (laughs) Like, you're like, hey, daughter, go take this guy out on a date. Like, I don't know what she thought was going to happen with that. I mean, I mean, maybe she's just trusting that this guy is like in his mid twenties and he's not going to make a move. I don't know. Like I, I, I don't know. You'd think as a mother, she'd still just be like, nah, I don't trust this guy. But, and I, I will admit that like <laughs> way back when, when I was fighting my crush on case two by like complaining about things that she did in her movies, there's a lot of sighing and like scoffing. Do you remember when we watched new moon with the, uh, yes. the, uh, the things on and like, the word scoff appears like 700 times, mm-hmm. but like, Pound for pound, she's being matched by Adam Brody here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this dude is all size and scoffs. Um, so she shaves so yeah. her head. <laughs> or pretends to, at least, yeah. You know, um, you, know, you know when you know, like, this is how you know a character's really shaving their head in the movie. When they show the scalp. When they yeah. show the razor going over the scalp. That's how you know it's real. If they don't show that, it's not real. Isn't there like a Joseph Gordon-Levitt movie where he has cancer and like Anna Kendrick's in it? Yeah, and I watch it. Head. 50, 50. It's Seth Rogen. You know how I feel about okay. that. Let me let me do this one then. V for Vendetta. Yep, you see the scalp. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure they filmed that for from twelve different fucking angles because they actually got Natalie Portman to shave her head, and she looked fantastic. Um, so yeah, that's, see that the cutting back and forth in the mother and daughter there is. Chef kissing his fingers. Um, so Case 2 and Adam Brody then break up um, after he avoids her for five days. The guy who lives across the street. Uh, in this tense moment between the two of them, she is wearing a t-shirt emblazoned with the album cover from Seven Wishes, a Night Ranger album of all bands. Is this when she goes to see the dude? Yeah, that's right. She she has like an epiphany because he like... He yelled at her before about like who she should be seeing or something like that, right? He's, she's like, well, if it's not you, then who is it? And he's just like, I think you know if you think about it. 
And it's like it takes like a while before she actually thinks about it. Yeah, there, you know, some shit's happening. There's also a scene between Casey and her mom here where Meg Ryan's like wearing a big thing on her head, so we can't tell that she didn't shave her head. Um, and it's like a heart to heart or whatever. Oh, Casey um, has a or, or Meg Ryan has a cancer attack. So the she like Casey she's like about to die dad. suddenly. Yeah, she calls the dad. Dad's not there. This is off having an affair. Uh, 2007 Clark Gregg is off having an affair on Meg Ryan. Um, anyway, so like at one point, Adam Brody at this point, I think he's writing something that afterwards he looks so like crazy and drained and whatever. Like he just came and shit at the same time. And he's like so pleased with himself. So he goes and calls the French ex only now because she had called and she wanted to talk to him before he got in the fight with the high mm-hmm. school boys. But now she's like, she doesn't recognize them because she's at a party and she's drunk. And she's the kind of drunk where she thinks it's New Year's Eve in the middle of October. Way I'd out of this league. Way I'd out love of this that drunk. Yeah. yeah. Also, she's dating Colin Farrell. That makes sense. Kesu, like, has an epiphany while driving and, like, floats a bitch while driving and goes back to the mall to see this Eric dude who, like, we're supposed to understand is, like, her true soulmate or something. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's only two guys at this Orange Julius. They're the only people left in the mall in he, the world. This guy does a move where rather than like kind of go around to get out of the little booth there, he just hops right over because he's a cool guy. I mean, that's that's like a trope from these movies. I was waiting for like someone to do like a slow clap too. Uh, Adam Brody takes the grandmother out to eat. Um, there is some hilarious acting there as he just telegraphs so strongly how dissatisfied he is of his salad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then later on, he like has this stupid like panda bear script that he wants her to read, and she's dead. Do you have while the name watching of it? Seinfeld? Oh, I didn't get it. No, what is it? Pandy, the unlovable, self-destructive teddy bear. Well, unlovable's right. Like yes. like weakly self-destructive. Weakly. Um, Are we supposed to feel like bad for him? Like, so his his grandmother, he realizes she's dead. Even though the doctor said she's fine, she's dead. And he's like, oh, I could call hospice. It's written right here on this phone and masking tape. I'm just going to go outside instead and have one more chat with Meg Ryan. It's going to be a cordial chat, even though the last time we talked, she was like, stay the fuck away from my daughter. Because well, he, he wrote fucking, an amazing letter. So, you know, all the fucking well. money shot here, the artsy shot. It's like this weird pan. It's like him widely, like in front of the house, just hugging himself, feeling that wind. And then it kind of like zooms past him. And like there's Meg Ryan, like strolling up with Bose of the dog. Well, I think the movie wants us to be really emotional here. Like, oh man, this guy's grandmother died. And he just, he's just got to get out of the house. He's just it's like feeling these feelings. But instead, it's just like, score's terrible. Yeah, no, I'm not feeling at all. So she's totally cool with him since he wrote the letter. Totally cool. Uh, she's also like a Nazi for like having the last word. Yeah, that was established earlier. Yeah. So she gets the uh, uh, the last word because he says something to her and she's just like, no, buddy, you know, I have to have it. So here's the last word. You're welcome. And I was like, oh, not bad. And then for some reason, confusedly, Beautiful Girl by NXS starts playing. Yeah. And then he... He goes back to LA. Like, you can just afford that, I guess. <laughs> sure. I guess in excess owed a favor to Larry Katzen well, as well. For some reason, the movie doesn't like like doesn't carry over through the next scene and into the credits. It like fades out as quickly as possible once we're back in the goddamn diner. 
yeah, cut to him in an LA diner. He's still working on a shitty ass script. Um, at the counter. Yeah, and Jennifer Goodwin, the waitress here, is just like really interested in what he's doing and not just like ignoring him because he's probably going to leave for like a, a small tip anyway. Well, she's a 2007 Jennifer Goodwin who's still out of his league as like the manic pixie dream waitress who's going to like chat him up and like talk about his fucking script, which talk about like a goddamn wish fulfillment of a male screenwriter. Like this is like yeah. some real Ruby sparks bullshit right here. And this is where the movie ends. Like the movie just ends here. Like, like JGL has just met autumn and the 500 days of summer are over or whatever the fuck. Yeah. It's just like, Oh, do you want to, I don't know how to end my script. You got any ideas? And she's just like, I don't know. She isn't some bullshit to think about. I really wish that you and I could bring you and I from whenever we watch this movie onto this podcast and just grill the fuck out of them. Like, what did you think when you watched this? <laughs> I know you thought it was dumb and weird and some odd choices, but like, what did you think? And that's just how the movie ends. Yeah. Also, I want to say like, some there's, song. there's like a cut between like when she's talking to him and then when he turns the laptop for her to look and like, it definitely like an extra button sprung open there in her shirt. I don't know if you noticed that. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. She's going to be super interested in this guy's screenplay. Everyone knows that uh, dudes who heroically write a script mm-hmm. are going to like get some cleavage. <laughs> and that was in the land of women. Um, why is he called in the land of women? <laughs> I, why? Yeah, I know. It's because he like. He's just like, hey, man, I went somewhere and like listened to women for like a couple days. Give me a medal. Yeah. Is this like a line from a poem that factors into the movie in no way whatsoever? (laughs) Also, I haven't mentioned this yet. This movie is shot in scope for some reason. It's shot in the 235 to 1 aspect ratio. Why? Like, you're not making the good, the bad, and the ugly here, Jonathan Kasdan. Why did you shoot this in scope? This movie looks terrible. Like, it's the shot selection is bad. And and it's funny. I looked at the cinematographer. He went on to do, like, the pilot to Westworld, you know, tying it all back Mm. in. Just the pilot. Is Carter Webb the elusive manic pixie dream guy? He's just there for women to have unload their emotional burdens on and then get off their lives. God, I hope not. I I don't. Any other of the quote unquote hot beefy boys of like 2007 would have made much more sense in this role. Like, why wasn't this Orlando Bloom? I mean, I guess this makes sense for an Adam Brody type actor who's fairly unthreatening you know i kind of wonder like if you had flip-flopped them and like adam brody was in last kiss and what's his name was in this fucking movie would that make more sense i think adam brody reads younger so it probably works better for him to be in this movie okay so if uh you could make one change this movie what would it be (laughs) oh shit where to begin not make it. It does not need to be made. Um, I, you know, this is only a real minor change in the film. I would delete the Carter Webb character altogether. Mm. 
Yeah, I had it, I wrote down make it a satire. I don't know. It'd probably be a pretty big change, but acknowledge how the absurdity of this character and what like a just a self indulgent narcissist he is. Mm-hmm. Um, it could at least be kind of funny. Like, and it seems like there's like that one joke about him not being a good listener, where it seems like the movie's vaguely aware of that, but then nothing comes of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I really want to find the like interview with the director where he like explains like, oh, you're supposed to think he's a terrible guy or, or something. Are you really? Yeah. Like, where is the where is the Vulture article that's like ten years later? Let's talk about in the land of women. Yeah, really. All right. Um, power rankings. Oh yeah, it's gonna be juicy. I managed to fill up ten. Okay, I I kind of have ten here. Yeah. Who's your number ten? Uh, all of the high school boys who are over in Case Two storyline. Okay. I had Carter Webb at number ten. I really started there. That's that was kind of going to be my joke. Oh, he's uh, so awful in this movie, and he's just like he just he spends the whole movie just sighing and feeling put upon. Just like, God, I can't believe my grandmother has dementia. Might answer the door without pants on. God, this is so embarrassing for me, who's trying to pick up on the sixteen-year-old girl. <sighs> Let's pause for a minute and talk about Adam Brody. I remember thinking he was great in the totality of Jennifer's body, like the the fullness of his character in that. I thought that was great. He's in Scream Four with like Anthony Anderson, like they're both the cops, right? The uniform cops. Oh, it's such a weird role, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they both die. Spoilers. Yeah. Right, they both yeah. die. Right. I believe so. I believe. I know Anthony die. Anderson dies. In like a, a bizarrely extra violent way, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like what is what is Adam Brody doing now? I can only assume he pissed a bunch of people off. The world was his oyster. Was it? Wasn't he okay in his like super bit part in uh Thank You for Smoking? No, he's good in that, yeah. Yeah. All right, here's your number nine. <laughs> Personal life trivia from Wikipedia. He is not related to Adrian Brody, also an actor. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> um, my number my number nine is uh, <laughs> it's a tie between Colin Farrell and Dick Cheney. <laughs> okay, going out of track. I had a uh, Nelson Hardwick here, a uh, Clark Gregg's character, just okay. with his eyebrows. They are exceptional. Um, oh, where do we go here? Uh, Adam Brody was on episode New Girl too. I forgot about that. My number eight is actually Clark Gregg. Um, the thing about Clark Gregg is, I honestly think that it's not until Agents of Shield in I haven't seen like all the show like you have. I think that's the first time for me where he's really shown versatility. I tend to find him kind of vanilla in literally every role before. I mean, what about um, just Iron Man, though? Well, I think he has a certain function to play as Coulson in the movies, and he plays it. It's great. Mm -hmm. But, like, in other things, he's usually like, here's a note that this character calls for, and he's going to say that note just fine. And so here it's like, I'm supposed to hate the character? I don't really. Mm hmm. 
He doesn't I mean, seem sleazy doesn't enough. Really he yeah. just seems like it's like, oh, this is a marriage that like probably died five years well, ago and neither are willing to acknowledge it. We didn't even talk about it. Like Meg Ryan talks about, okay, my husband's cheating on me. And that's the whole bit is that, mm-hmm. you know, my husband's cheating on me. Don't tell, don't tell the kids. And then like later case two is like, my dad's cheating on my mom. Don't tell anyone in the family, you know, like Carter Webb is the keeper of the secrets. But like Meg Ryan then follows it up with, you know, I don't really love him anyway. So yeah. But it's like, guy. it's like, yeah, but you know, like God, divorce, that would just be like such a hassle and everything's going yeah. pretty well. And then case two is just like, and my mom just seems like she doesn't care because she doesn't want to go through that. It's like they both understand the mom pretty well, you know. The mom's mm-hmm. just like, I'm gonna put up with it. Well, it's kind of funny. Is the first thing that, that Meg Ryan says, my husband's having an affair. At least he's discreet, mm-hmm. she says. <laughs> yeah, so that's my number eight. Uh my number eight was Eric. He's the orange release bro. Okay. Yeah. Do you ever fear that people will just be standing downwind from your shits? No. Okay. Do you feel victorious in that? Ha ha ha. Ha ha. I just, I guess if if I were him, I would find a, a place to use the restroom where I wouldn't run into anyone I know. <laughs> I seriously hope I don't run into people I know at the mall bathroom. Mm-hmm. Unless I'm buying meth. <laughs> Um, my number seven is, um, Phyllis, the grandmother. I mean, she is just a fucking punching bag in the script. Mm. All of her scenes are an afterthought. I can't believe I'm not dead. Uh, yeah, I had Agnes at number seven. That is mother. Okay. That's all I had to say about that. I, I, I think somehow the mom did not make the thing for me. Um, at number six, I have Jennifer Goodwin as Jane, the waitress at the end, because whatever. It's actually Janie, and I have her at number six as well. No. Yeah. I thought like she said she'd Jane really, in the movie, but IMDb does say Janie. Like she'd really want to read this fucking script, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess oh. if she was just into this guy, she'd want to read his script, but like it's, she doesn't really care. Um, is it number five? Number five, I actually do have Adam Brody as Carter Webb, which is a ridiculous name. What are you, I, what are you like, Spider-Man's clone or something? Get out of here. Yeah, like, I, I was like you, I was going to start off with this joke where he's so terrible, he's my number 10. But it's like, I, there is something about Adam Brody that's watchable. He is not checking off the boxes that the script requires an actor to do, per se. But I don't think the script knows what it wants its actors to do. There's there's just like a, a a multitude of similitude of jokes happening throughout the movie, and I'm just not privy to them. And I don't know that anyone in the audience was. Mm-hmm. Uh, number five. What do you got? Uh, I have here Sophia. Okay, the girlfriend. Yeah, I had uh, Paige, the younger daughter, here. Little, okay, maybe a little too precocious, but you know she's fine. She's soon younger. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be honest with you. Paige was almost my number one. Mm-hmm. That doesn't um, so shock me at all. No, I mean I've talked about how her character. I think we both ridiculous. I think we both know who we had number one. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Though ridiculous, her character was at least I thought well written, well acted at times, made sense. Um, yeah. So next up, I actually have Meg Ryan. Really, number four. Okay. Or or three. I'm sorry. Who do you have four? 
I think uh, four was my Sophia. I'm sorry about that. Sophia five. Who did I say before? I don't know. Who's you not have it written down? It was either uh, making this up on the fly. It was either Sophia or uh, Jane. My whole sorry. life is a lie. Your whole life is a lie, Carter Webb. Mm-hmm. And number four, I had Phyllis, the grandmother. Okay, why? Why that high? Uh, I don't know. She's got a couple good lines. I can't believe I'm not dead. You know, who are you? That kind of stuff. That's all, really. <laughs> Just the, I'm 133 yeah. years old. <laughs> the like, I was gonna say Adam Brody. Like, why is he not in a like Woody Allen movie? Like, that's where he should. Well, end, right? maybe Woody Allen's not gonna make any more movies. Maybe, but I mean, like, maybe. Like, there was a point where Woody Allen stopped stopped playing the Woody Allen. Proxy I think he's. I, I think he's not nebbish enough. I guess he doesn't have quite that he? kind of. But he doesn't have that like kind of like stuttering, sort of uh, lack of so, confidence. I don't know. There's, there's, it's not the quite 90s, in that vibe. Yeah. Somewhere in the '90s, there was a movie that was not great called Celebrity from Woody Allen. It was mm-hmm. the first time he stopped playing himself, and he cast Kenneth Branagh as his like nebbish oh, main character. That's a weird casting choice. It didn't quite work because no. he's trying to play Woody Allen, yeah. but Adam Brody could do that. He could do it too well. Maybe. I feel like his vibe is a little different, though, I guess. Okay. Like, I get a vibe from Adam Brody like he's not trying to molest his daughter, you know? Okay. Okay. I mean, what is your vibe from Adam Brody beyond that? Like, do you want to hang out with him? Like, is he like a Hollywood not dude? Not really. I feel like he's probably a douche in real life. Probably. Okay. So, who is the Hollywood bro that you would most want to hang out with? Ewan McGregor. Okay. Didn't even have to think about it. No, that's your usual answer. Mm-hmm. Am I wrong, dude? Uh, no, that's not a bad answer. It's not a bad answer at all. Um, I think I said my number three is Meg Ryan. My number three is uh, Sophia Benwell, the the actress girlfriend. Okay. Uh, there's no way she'd be dating this guy, but uh, I, I I really felt for her character. She's ready to move on from this guy. Obviously, he's a fucking loser. Maybe yeah. maybe they're dating like before she got popular or something. I don't know, before she hit a big... Well, I started to think, like, is there a point where she was in one of the movies he wrote? Because I could I could see yeah, something where, maybe. Yeah, you know. where she's in it, and she's like, okay, screenwriter, I gotta ask you. I mean, we know I'm playing a shitty character. Like, can you explain to me what is possibly her motivation for whatever, you know... And he gave her a funny doing. answer, and they, yeah, they yeah. got a number one out of date, sure, yeah. I could see that mm-hmm. i mean I, I there's a funny detail where the the little sister is like i went and rented this dvd of this movie she's in and she's fantastic in it and i thought okay that's funny i don't know why she's advertising levi's but whatever um yeah so who's so your number, number three? two that was oh, my number, number two. three. Oh, my number two is Mackenzie vega as Paige, the little sister wait who's your number three meg ryan okay hmm that's high for me I had, okay i had a hard time how's that gnt working for you oh it's working great it's fantastic. fantastic. Yeah. I I'm had a hard out, time actually. Huh? I'm out. You need to we need to pause. I think we I think we can wrap it up. Okay. I uh I had a hard time because like it's Meg Ryan and Case Stu to me. I didn't really give a shit about their names in this movie. So like every time they said Lucy or Sarah, I forgot who we were talking about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, so Paige is my number two, the little sister. Hmm. I had Meg Ryan at number two. I mean, I feel like she's She's doing her best with the material. She's like, I'm really going to just play this uh, kind of like cancer scare to the hilt. 
because like by the end of the movie she's like i'm gonna be fine you know like they the biopsy said that there was no cancer or whatever i'm fine this chemo's just like for fun or something i don't think that's how it works <laughs> personally no, I, they the surgery went really well they got pretty much the cancer out i mean the I chemo was just to be on the safe side i don't know if that's fun. how it works i think i'm not sure how that works i think it was just for fun <laughs> Uh-huh. So I'm just like I'm gonna prescribe a, a really sexy, a really fun bout of chemo for you. Yeah, have fun with that. Maybe I'd want to try that. I don't know. Ooh, that's, I, I, the I did, hair like, thing. Is, the hair thing is the thing. I don't know. How much hair do you actually have? I have a full head of hair. Yeah, you're you're gonna be okay. You'll be fine about some hair. You could tattoo the hair. I mean, it'll grow back. I'm not like a Costanza situation or anything like that. You know, I, I the last time I shaved my head was like. Are you not the- Ten, the guy who no, like shaved one of ago. his arms for fun once, just once, maybe twice, you know, three times at, at, at most. The same arm each time? No, you know, it's they give you those. You got those little electronic shavers. They got little clippers on the back. You just kind of want to use it, you know. Do so you just shave the whole arm? Oh no, up to like the elbow, you know. Because I remember it grows back. Or so when I was living with you, was that the first time you did it, or like was this like a? I think that was the first habit? time. Yeah, I just remember looking out that back window and um, you know I <laughs> something weird. <laughs> I shaved my wrist now for my Apple Watch. I think I need to do it again soon. Really? Yeah, yeah. You, you know. shave your wrist? Just, what? It's just fucking wrist hair. Okay. No, that's. I feel like we've got a new segment happening here on on Head Cannon. Hmm. Uh, what's your number one? I think we both have the same number one. It is bet your ass we do the patron saint of headcanon, mm-hmm. or is she still saying? Yeah, I guess she's still saying. There's no yeah. saints not gendered. Um, Kristen Stewart, the lovely, the talented Kristen Stewart. Um, the, she, uh, she's doing uh, the most of the material she has. The uh, I, I said that I, I scoffed while I was also running my hand through my hair. Yes, the case too of it all. Mm-hmm. Um. There was a while on Time Travel Murder Mystery where we did this fun thing at the end of each episode where we would use the story generator from TV Tropes website and we would like concoct a story. We'd just like bullshit together a story or or a five-man band or something. What I really enjoyed is that we always squeezed in case two every single time. (laughs) She was always a star. Yeah. I feel like we were like so far ahead on like the case two bandwagon. We were like we were driving that bandwagon. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, she's winning Caesars. That and she's like directing short films, and I haven't seen them yet, and I hate myself she's um, just because like, of it. Oh, you won an Oscar, Jennifer Lawrence? That's cute. Well, it's like it's funny. She's she's blonde here, and it's like later on, she's like doing the blonde thing and the short hair, and she's looking fantastic at it all. I mean, can she do wrong? No. Anyhow, would you yeah. recommend this movie? <laughs> <laughs> I think almost for the most part, by the by the the idea that we're we cover these movies, it's like kind of an implicit like recommend. Not always. I don't know. This um, one this one though, like it's an hour and a half long. Like it's it goes by pretty quick. I was actually surprised I'd been watching for a while and I like tapped the remote. I'm like, oh how much I have this left? And it was like a half hour left. I was like, wow, that 
it seems to be moving on. I don't think it really drags necessarily. It's just like nothing happens in this movie. It's really bizarre and weird. Um, yes, would, you should watch this movie and drink heavily while watching it. I would watch it with some friends too. I, you need to look over at someone and be like, are you, seeing are this? we both, yeah. are we both seeing this? Is mm-hmm. this real? <laughs> it's such so, a weird yeah. movie. Uh, it's just watch, watch of a friend pause it after end of every scene and just discuss the choices thus made the and movie ends yourself, and it's just like what, what was the joke yeah what happened in this movie like it you just goes home at the end what what do we learn i don't know <laughs> oh shit dog um yeah, we, so we learned that casey should have been Dating her boyfriend's best friend and not the boyfriend, I guess. I don't know. He built a and that guy should not have been letting his buddy drive his car for reasons unknown. Also, she's like, Why would I date you? You sound like a fucking cuck. <laughs> Your guy taking dubious philosophical shits in the bathroom at the mall. Um, please, by all means, reach out to us if you have a, a good fan theory about the title of this movie and why it's thus. As he's in the land of women, meaning that like he he spoke to other women for a few days. <laughs> I mean, he he definitely only talks to women, except for the gaggle of high school boys who he. I mean, it's converses it, with. You got the mother, the daughter, and the younger daughter, and his grandmother. I guess that counts as being in the land of women. All right, speaking of... It's not like he's got a bunch of neighbors or anything like that who are all women. It's just this one family. Speaking of pseudo-similarly titled movies, did you ever watch a movie from 1996 called Beautiful Girls? Um, I think I have seen parts of that movie. That is a Natalie Portman movie, right? I think she's in there somewhere with like... Let me just look at this cast. It's not now and then. I know that. No, it's not now and then. That's the... I think that's the I, Marlene King joint. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, this cast features Matt Dillon, Lauren Hawley, Timothy Hutton. I'm always here for Ro- Matt Dillon. I'm not here for Timothy Hutton, though. Rosie O'Donnell, Martha Plimpton, Natalie Portman, Michael Rappaport. Oh, I'm not here Sabino, for that guy either. And Mo- Uma Thurman. I almost said Uma Thurman. Um, is this a flashback, flash forward thing? I have no idea. Um, it the ooh the tagline. You ready for the tagline? Good times never seem so good. Do you want to be hit with a tagline for In the Land of Women? Please do. Get ready to fall. (laughs) What does that even mean? Fall in love? (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) And you got this when you turn to your friend, you're like, what is the joke here? Mm -hmm. Um, I've never seen Beautiful Girls, but I just remember thinking, like, what is the what are you what are you doing here with this title? Like, <laughs> are they all beautiful girls? I, I don't understand what you're doing. It's also got Prue Taylor Vince. Wow. Um, yeah. So please, by all means, this is this is becoming a real train wreck at the end. Reach out to us if you have thoughts about this movie and the title, and if you watched it and you had never seen it before and you never knew anything about it. I am so sorry. <laughs> you were not ready for this. It's just amazing that it even exists. I think. I do feel bad. I have to say for, for some listeners who um, like they have to go watch the movie before like they can listen to the podcast about it because mm-hmm. I feel like I enjoy a lot of 
podcasts out there that I listen to where it's like talking about some movie because if the podcast does a good job. I almost really don't need to see the movie. It's like, not like yeah, I don't, I, know if, know. I don't know if we really do a good job of that, but sure. Yeah, no, we don't know if we do a good job at any of this, but like, you know, if you do do a good job, I don't think I really need to know about the movie. Like, that's not the point at times. Pre Taylor Vince is in Mumford. Is he really? Yeah. Oh, that was a weird movie. Anyhow, um, what are we going to watch next week? Well, I had floated the idea of Dreamcatcher. Ah, jeez. Which also features Jason Lee. I don't know if I can handle that. Okay, what can you handle? I don't know. Is there anything topical we can do? What's coming out? Like Jurassic Park? Um, I don't want to do the original, really. I don't want to watch... I don't want to watch Jurassic World. No. Yeah. I don't want to watch that. Uh, let's go to the list, I guess. What's on the list? I don't know. I don't have it in front of me right now. Oh, okay. Do you have it in front of you? I'm sure I can pull up the list. Good radio right here. Yeah. Vamp, vamp why I do that. Uh, I'm just vamping along. Case Tell you. the people more fun details about yourself. Uh, I don't know. Um, see, you put me on the spot. I don't know what to say. Yeah, because the nice thing is that you never put me on the spot. So please. Um, oh, I never put you on the spot. I think I do. Oh, well, I'm glad I wasn't being sarcastic. Okay, so do you want me to just read the list to you and you can say stop at one of these? Uh, hold on, I'm looking for the list right now. Uh, I think I deleted it. Oh, here we go. Okay. Prince Caspian. Fool's Gold. Molly's Game. I just watched that. See, like some of the movies on this, like the big sick, that just seems like too good for us. Yeah. Well, Molly's Game is... The Great Wall. Not not exactly too good for us. <laughs> the Duff. The Boy the Next tough. Door. We did The Fifth Wave. God, that movie sucked. Yeah. Focus. Allied. What about Nerve? Is that the, the Dave Franco movie? Yeah, I don't like Dave Franco. Okay. What about, that didn't last long. What about The Huntsman Winter's War? Should we do the first one? No. You're uh, you're just cutting because I've already watched the first one once. I don't want to watch it again. You're you're just cutting the case to out of I my know. life. She's in other stuff. Miss oh, uh, Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. I don't give a shit about Tim Burton movies. I uh, I listened to some podcast this morning while I was vacuuming that uh, floated the idea that Tim Burton actually directed Mystery Men. But didn't credit himself for some reason. Editor thought. You're not missing anything. That's another no, great. I don't think so, yeah. The Age of Adeline. Brooklyn. Jack Reacher. Yeah, some of these movies are not like the others. Yeah. Pan. Is that the uh, the guy from Hannah? Oh, what about the boy next door? What about the boy next door? It's That's... like reverse Ezria. Yeah. That's J Lo and uh, our boy there, Ryan Guzman, right? <laughs> Are you injured? Are you hurt? Mm, I think he's hurt in that movie. So I think the plot of that movie is like J Lo like fucks her neighbor who's like a young dude, but he like becomes obsessed with her or something, right? Yeah, I think it's like uh an adult and a teenager like doing some swim fan, right? I never saw swim fan. Okay. 
I mean, I'm into this. You want to do it? Yeah, let's do it. Oh, shit. All right. Um, this is a uh, this is according to Wikipedia, folks. This is a 2015 American erotic thriller oh. directed by Rob Cohen. <laughs> oh, I'm there. All right, boys. The boy next door. That's what we're doing next week. Her mistake, his obsession. That's the tagline. And go ahead and copy that now, so you don't forget what I'm supposed to watch later. <laughs> I'll still get a text tomorrow. What, what do we agree to? Mm. All right. Well, until then, have a good one. You too. Bye-bye.